Hello, and welcome to Conversations with Kari. I'm your host, Kari Feiler. In today's episode, I'm speaking with my friend Aaron Danks, an old friend, uh, and we talk about animal husbandry, subjective experience itself, mythology, the importance of God, the importance of religion, free will, responsibility, critical race theory, racism, race generally. There are a number of audio issues. Uh, I have a horrible echo for the first 30 minutes that I have found impossible to get rid of. Sometimes my voice even drops lower than I would like. Uh, I'm just a rookie at this, but the conversation should be mostly enjoyable in its current form. This podcast is supported by a Patreon. You can find it at patreon.com forward slash Kari underscore Filer. I hope you enjoy the show. Yes. Okie okay. dokie. <laughs> How, are, How are, you? are you? Thank, Thank you, you for coming, coming and recording, recording a podcast, podcast with me, my, my good friend. friend. Yeah, it's uh, obviously an honor. I, I I would assume it's obvious that it's an honor since you know that I, I hold you in high esteem. It's, it's obvious, obvious to me, to me uh, but, but you know, you know I'm just pleasure to, to, to do it. it. Please, Please introduce, introduce yourself to the, the I, don't I don't know, know four, four five, five people that may, may be listening. <laughs> Yeah, my name is Aaron Danks. Um, I live in Long Beach, California with my wife and two daughters. Um, we have a mulberry tree and a, an avocado tree and uh, five chickens and a, an orange tabby cat. And uh, that should, you know, orient people enough. I'm just kidding. I am. Um, Do you really have five uh, chickens? We do. We have five chickens. Oh my, oh my gosh. gosh! Yeah, I had to. I had to uh, remove a possum from inside their coop the other night, and it was definitely the most adventure I've had in, in years. How'd that, how'd that go? go? How'd, so, did, how'd that, that go? go? Well, Removing my possum from the chicken coop. You can't see, you know. So, uh, and it was, and they're kind of, you know, mostly benign little buggers. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they, they just scavenged for the, the eggs. They weren't a real threat to the chicken other than, you know, chickens have chicken hearts. So, you know, they are liable to have heart attacks at the the, the, the ostensible threat of danger. Really? really? How, did how did you, you hear? hear? How did, how did you, you notice, notice that, that it was in the cage? cage? Um, we go out there at twilight or at dusk. It's dusk is what I'm thinking of. Um, to close the coop so that no predators can get in. Mm. And we went. To, we were uh, an hour late or so. Um, mm. Past usual time, and <laughs> there he was. Um, and yeah, I had to kind of like wrangle him off the 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 inside of the coop uh, fence, the like the chain link part. Were you about to bite you? That's why I used the stick. I had to like, yeah, I didn't wrangle him with my arms. Oh, I had okay. to stick, and I had a little bit of a hook on it, so I was able to kind of like pull him back, but I didn't want to hurt him. And he made this, you make these like really kind of demonic sounds. Certainly, you know, like and it was just. I hope that sounded as demonic as it felt. Yes. Um, <laughs> and. Uh, I eventually got him down and then was able to coax him out. But it took about 20 minutes. And um, 
I was more worried about the chickens having a heart attack than actually hurting the possum. So that, yeah, that's the, those are the kind of goings-ons uh, that, uh, at my house. How, how much, much uh, how, how many, many eggs, eggs do, do five, five chickens, chickens produce? produce? Why don't you guess? I'm, I'm going to guess, guess that the five, five chickens produce, produce ten, ten, no, no five, five eggs a week. A week. Yeah, that's not a bad guess, and I wouldn't have known um, up until the day that we bought the chickens and found out. Um, but they lay an egg a day each. An you egg five a day? Eggs. Yeah, it's a fantastic, it's a very sound investment. Oh, oh my gosh, gosh. they just drop these things, things, things all the time. time. Yeah, yeah, isn't that weird? Holy, Holy cow. cow. Their cycle is uh, a 30th a of, a, of a human woman's ovulation cycle so have, have you calculated, calculated the, the, the return, return on investment for calories of feed for calories of, for calories of, calories of eggs, eggs. Or, right um no but i'm my intuition is that it's um that the the margins are pretty high on the egg return really, really? yeah yeah the feed lasts quite a while and it's cheap. Like, we go to the feed store like once a month. Yeah, that, that feeds forty bucks. So I mean, it's like may, maybe a dollar fifty a day. Dollar fifty a day, a day of feed generates five, five eggs, which, which I think, I think five, five eggs, eggs is worth one a dollar fifty. Yeah, but they're your eggs. You you know you, you have the you know um, the. You know exactly where they're coming from, how the, the chickens are treated. So you have, you know, the um, that mystery mm. out of the mm. question. And the and value isn't is just, uh, this, this is to your, your point, point, the value isn't just, just monetary. monetary. There's, There's also the value in not having to go through the middleman middle of, of Ralph's or Vaughn's or John's or wherever you get your eggs, right? Right, right. And, then and it's almost and... like, it's like, the, the, it, that's not even the primary, you know, um, what's, what's most compelling about having chickens. It's like, mm -hmm. there's the novelty of having chickens, <laughs> you know, they're chickens. It's fun for Asia, who's almost six, you know, to have kind of obscure sort of pet, right? Uh, a group of pets, that, um, they're kind of like little dinosaurs. They you know, certainly are. are. I hear it as entirely economic. economic. When I think, I think of, I, 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 I can, can see, see myself, myself one day having chickens. chickens. Uh, uh, if we were, were a little, little bit closer to grid collapse, collapse, I would certainly pick up animal husbandry. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, definitely, definitely a thing. Can you? Uh, have you investigated how much it would cost to get a rooster if you want to expand your collection from five to ten, twenty? Oh, we we wouldn't, mm. we wouldn't. Uh, it's just it's already kind of bordering on too much. Yeah. That's we're, great. We're happy, man. we're happy with our our quintet. What, what made you? What inspired you, you in that, that direction? direction? This, this is the first I've heard of. You know, for the audience that doesn't know, we are old friends. Good friends, old friends. This is the first I've heard of this. So I'm very interested. We're a decade and a half. Old. Decade and a half, fifteen-year-old friends. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah that's that's it. It. Good, Good friends, friends too. I remember, man, 
going, going to, to uh, uh, Casey's after, after Friday, Friday Nighters. Nighters? Mm-hmm. That, that was, was that was one of the that was one of the seasons of my life. life. I look forward to that. Yeah, I might have looked forward, forward to that as, as, most, as, as much as I've looked forward, forward to anything in my whole life. life. Looking, Looking forward, forward to going to cases, cases after Friday and hanging, hanging out with, out with you guys. guys. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, uh, me too. That was uh, a staple of, of my week. And a, it was like the primary social staple. So, and we, yeah, we were, we were on a mission to, uh, not backslide and also uh, have, uh, you know, probably annoyingly, annoyingly intellectual conversations at on, at those dinners. Remember? I, I see, but the thing is, is those, those are the only, only, those those are the only type, type of conversations, conversations that I have. have. So. <laughs> no, what, what I mean is that, you know, you, we're there with, you know, a variety of different people yeah and and they um i just remember there there being a uh, a little bit of a resistance to it and we would always end up kind of almost uh, being sequestered even you know just in in the in, in conversation at least yeah no, no that, that made, made me so, so happy. happy uh yeah because yeah, yeah me too. i'm I've always you know, you know I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, thinking back to time. time i went, I to, went this to this party, party. And I knew I the knew person, person I was with, and then I loosely knew the person throwing it, but there, there were 30, 30 people there, there and that, that, was, that was the extent of the people that I knew. So, so I'm walking, walking around, and I'm, I'm over, over by, by the pool, pool table, and they're having an inane conversation and drinking beers, and the guys are trying to impress the girls, and then I go into the backyard, and they're having a somewhat serious conversation. It's kind of shallow, but I'm not really interested in that. And I just float around in conversations. I found so many of the interactions, 90% of the interactions, wanting because here these people are obviously putting on a show for each other, but they can't explicitly exchange the meaningful information that they're signaling that's so meaningful. Right? They have to talk about something else while they're signaling all these other things. And I don't like that. I don't like that game. I can play it. I don't like to play it. I prefer... Let's, let's say, say what, what we, we mean. mean. <laughs> and, 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 and let's talk about something interesting. interesting. So, so at this oh, yeah. And, and you can kind of, you know, go to... I mean, I, I guess that's what we did. We gravitated towards the people in the group who wanted to have that kind of exchange. Yeah. As yeah. opposed to the uh, the uh, cryptic signa- signaling social exchanges. And, and at, at this, this party, party who, who I, I found were... I found, I found a, group a group of people... people Sitting, sitting in one, in of, one the of the bedrooms, and it was, and it was actually the sister, no, the roommate of the person throwing it. So it wasn't, wasn't someone who was, who was even at, quote-unquote, the party. It was, it was just, just her roommate had a couple, couple of friends, friends over, and, and they, they were, I think, a poet, uh, a graphic designer, and, and some, some other sort of artist. They were talking about culture, and I just sat there and talked to them. It was great. You can usually smell them out. At a at a gathering like that, sometimes you can't. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's um, you just. Um, excuse me, I just took a bite of something. You're fine. You're fine. You're fine. Um, um, and sometimes it's a, you know I find myself in situations where that's not available, mm-hmm. and there is a mindfulness practice available in 
inquiring, you make the converse, you make, you, you can drive the quality of conversation mm-hmm. by inquiring to a person uh, into their, into what interests them. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that is a, a really good thing for me to practice because I, I can get bored really easily and then want to retreat then find a way because it, it does come down to you know kind of stimulating myself in the way that I want to be stimulated even if that is for you know the, the cause of you know getting to uh, some some uncovering truths mm. really because I mean that's what this whole thing this whole project is in the end mm. Mm. Um, on uh, on its mo- most on its uh, in the most noble interpretation of it mm-hmm. um, that you can also have a you know the interpretation of it that it is just another form of you know egoism and form of self-seeking which is, you know what in on all in all honesty it is for me at least I know it's a little bit of both and and I'm okay with that because that is uh, part of being human you know, my, the incentives for why I, I do things aren't purely, uh, they're, they're incent- that there are incentives. I'm not just, you know, in a vacuum, this, uh, benevolent actor, you know, this, this wholly benevolent, um, uh, party that, uh, is purely in, in search for the truth in every moment. I have other incentives that, uh, I'm in the grip of, mm. you know, wouldn't you find that we're all like that on certain, on you know, certainly on different uh, gradients of of those mixed qualities? But oh, I, uh, I, I, I know, know that's, that's true. true. I certainly I know, know that's true. true. Uh, you, you are you're, you're never, never one, one thing, thing in any one, one moment, moment. And, and in, in those, those moments, moments in which uh, I've, I've been talking, talking to someone, someone and I'm going, going okay, okay, well, I have my motives. motives. Uh, I, I want, want to be interested, entertained. Yeah, yeah, say, say, to, to say, say it another, another way, way. I, I want, want to enjoy, enjoy my life. life. My, my life, life includes this moment while I'm talking to this person, person and, and I want to enjoy it. And so the strategy, strategy that I found is getting, getting to, know to know someone. someone. And so, so whoever, whoever this person, person is in front of me, they certainly have a rich history to them that I would find thrilling to learn. Certainly. Every single person over the age of 25. Every, Every single, single person, person over, over the age of 25, 25 that you can, can have, have a conversation with, that I can have a conversation with, one on one. I'm 99.9% confident. There's some story they could tell me that I would carry for the rest of their rest of my life. They told me that story about them that they experienced first. And so when I'm talking to them, when I get to that board spot that you're talking about navigating, that's what I do. That's what I go. I go. I wonder what I could learn about this person that would make me better for having this conversation. Right. Yeah. And, um, that's, you know, that's an, that's such an awesome instinct to have, you know, the, I, I think that not only for, I mean, it's to your benefit and it's to the benefit of everyone and it perpetuates, um, goodwill that you're in, that you're interested in that person. And I think they, um, naturally log that as both, you know, it's a steaming, right. Mm-hmm. And and then um, it's also gives them it, there's however subtle and probably not interpreted in this way, but in this uh, you know art, uh, they don't articulate it internally in this way. But it's 
it gives the it gives a sense of like uh there's humanity mm. out there mm. you know and it's yeah it's so important as as opposed to the guy that is uh you know which i can be i'm not like impervious to like you know this uh, uh, what is a default of mine in certain moods intersecting with certain circumstances um which is like i just kind of withdraw and and that be, that has an effect you know on a in a, in a social setting just as much have, have you learned, learned over, over the years, years what, what triggers, triggers this, this withdrawal, withdrawal for you in conversation? conversation um what what causes me to withdraw just, just have, you have you noticed, noticed have you have noticed, noticed a pattern, pattern? have you, you noticed, noticed something, something like, like Every, every time, time this, this topic, topic comes, comes up, up I, I withdraw. withdraw. Every, every time, time it's well. I mean, it's there's so many different variables, right? Mm. I mean, like if if I hear if I can kind of pick up some cues about you know how ideological people are in their politics, or mm. you know where it's like I don't even want to start a conversation mm. over there, but that is pretty myopic. Uh, and you know, on that's a pretty myopic perspective to have uh, when you're when we're talking about being the person who's going to engage conversation on somebody else's terms or not on somebody else's terms, but um, seeking to know somebody. Mm-hmm. Like I mean, politics is it's almost um, you know uh, it, it it can be separated from who a person is intrinsically, you know, or whatever controversial, you know, ideas or subjects that you might approach, Mm -hmm. those can always be, um, you know, uh, sifted past to get to um, the core. And so I guess I I would say- They could could also be part part of the core, core, but but please please continue. No, they, 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 and I think they are, Mm -hmm. you know, but I think you can also, but you, I think you can bypass them. I think those, those, um, sticky topics, uh, and get straight to more fundamental, you know, like talking about somebody's ex- experience with, you know, with their, I think the more, the, you're, the more you focus on talking about their immediate experience, their day to day experience. I think it can be that can be uh, you know that doesn't that can be disentangled from um, more intellectually rooted uh, political or, or religious beliefs. Yeah, 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 yeah I, I agree. agree. Uh, I mean, two, two people, people can, can have, have an exchange, exchange in which, which um, at, at one, one point, point they're, they're talking, talking about. about uh, sports, sports and, and movies, movies and, and pop, pop culture and, and everything's, everything's flowing, flowing just, just fine. fine. They're, They're giving their opinions, opinions about television, television shows. shows. Everything's, everything's going, going just fine. fine. And then if, if it touches religion, religion politics, politics uh, theology, theology, any, any sort, sort of deep, deep thing like this, this then they, they get guarded, guarded and sticky and they don't know how to navigate. navigate. Um, I prefer the sticky territory as much as possible. I would say that I... You know, you know, I've, I've investigated, investigated uh, and, and of course, with, 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 with respect, respect to 
secrets, right? I don't, I don't, I don't talk, talk to someone, someone that I just met and say, you know what, tell, tell me your deepest, deepest darkest, darkest secret. secret. I don't know who, who would do that. Do that? <laughs> That's, That's a, a terrible, terrible, terrible thing. thing. Uh, I don't know that, that. I don't do that. that. I hope no one goes, goes around, around doing, doing that. that. But uh, uh, one, one question, question that, that, I, that I put, put forth in conversation, conversation is just, I'll straight, straight up, up ask people. When, when I drove right here, I would ask people, so have you been paying attention to the race? Talking about the political race. And I'll say, yeah, a little bit. And I'll say, do you have a horse in a race? I just leave it wide open. Right, right, just, just if, if you, you want, want to talk, talk about politics, politics, if you're excited, excited about it, let's, let's go. Because I think uh, that that's, that's actually a large, large part, part of the core of the person. Once, 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 once we start talking about morality, once we start talking about moral direction, direction uh, I, I, I love, love that space. space. Yeah, and it's definitely reflective of their. I mean, it, it's it's inextricably bound with their with their emotional core. Mm-hmm. There's no there's no doubt. You yep. can't. Once once you're dealing in that space, you're the political space or or, or like um, you know inflammatory topics. Um, you know you're you're dealing you're dealing with some of that person's um, you know identity core identity. Absolutely. So I dig, I dig it. it. I mean, yeah, to, it, to, it, to me, that's a life well lived. lived. If we're if we're in the more in that space, I would argue the more any individual is in that intense emotional space that's making their ears hot, and they don't know how to act, and are they upsetting? And just all those that anxiety. Oh, how is this going to work out? Or is this going to work out? Right. When all that anxiety is boiling, and of course, in a physically objectively safe situation, I think that's living. I think that's good living. I like it. Absolutely. And yeah, I mean, I'm. I think you. We're both mindset that, like, yeah, we. It's necessary to get in and just grapple with the most sensitive topics. Uh, and be respectful and, and, you know, be civil and be interested. And I, and I think it needs to be spearheaded with mm. the principle of, of, like, actually, like, active and um, and and even empathic listening. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. Really yeah. putting yourself in that person's shoes. If you're not doing that, you're just on blast and you're, and you're preempting their ideological, uh, you know, uh, language. Um, then because I, I, I am liable to that. I mean, I, I get kind of passionate and emotional and I, and I can tend to take, you know, uh, a, a side, even if it is the, like the iconoclast side, you know, um, you know what I mean? Even when it's, uh, it I seems divested, even when it, what I meant by that is even when it's, I'm not, it's not necessarily, I'm not necessarily partisan, but I, I'm just speaking, um, passionately from my however divergent uh view from the, the partisan um uh warfare mm. I, I i my point is that i can just become very what do you call it um opinionated and and defensive about mm-hmm. my mm-hmm. you know my orientation yep. yep yep you know even if it isn't just black and white republican democrat Right. Yeah. yeah no, no, that's, that's the, the that's the that's the territory, the territory right? right? People, People get defensive about, about their worldview because worldviews aren't. How do you, how do you say, say worldviews are, are 
A lot, a lot of world views are fragile. I can say that. A lot of world views are fragile. But some are less fragile than others. The scientific. They're also protective. They're, they're, well, that's, well, that's the, thing. the thing. So, so the scientific, scientific worldview, for instance, I'm, I'm a huge proponent of the scientific worldview because it doesn't, it doesn't need to be defended. defended. You don't you have, have to defend, defend the scientific worldview. You, you, no, now, not, not all, all the way. way. You, have you have to defend, defend or we have to defend, defend the, uh, especially in this day and age, we have to defend the spirit of logic and objective investigation itself and hypothesis and theory themselves as useful concepts. Now we have to defend them for a long time. For a long time we have to defend those ideas because those ideas are just assumptions, right? If Sam Harris likes to say that if there's someone who doesn't accept evidence, as a, as a form, form of, uh, as, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing, someone, someone who doesn't, doesn't accept evidence as a way of altering their beliefs, their beliefs what, what evidence, evidence could you offer them to make, to make a change? change. Right. They, well, they, they, they don't, they don't, they don't take, take it. it. Right, and then there's the whole, it's, you know, the pushback that I got a lot when I um, have argued with you know, primarily, you know, uh, what would you call them? Hindu, like uh, Hindu fundamentalists, mm. basically, which I have, uh, I'm very partial to Hinduism. Uh, um, uh, the, the, the point is that I, I was, when I would bring up, when I would bring up some, when I would bring scrutiny to certain claims uh, on an empirical basis, from a, a you know, um, and from an an argumentative base from a, a point of validity, like mm. arguments and their validity. I mean, in the formal uh, uh, syllogistic sense. Mm-hmm. Um, the the pushback I always got was, "Well, what evidence do you have that proof is proof?" And then you, and then it's like, "Okay, well now now we actually can't have the conversation mm-hmm. because because now you've just brought in an unfalsifiability." factor to the 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 structure of the conversation itself right yeah yeah Yeah. um i didn't didn't quite quite follow follow who's are they being being unfalsifiable right so they're saying that you cannot falsify you can't to they're they're saying how they're, they're basically creating a new standard and a, a standard for evidence mm. that is that makes it impossible for evidence to be evidence oh what so so, so, so they're then, saying well, what, what what so what constitutes proof of god so because they have because what they what, what theologists have to do anybody who's religious has to do when you're dealing with proof of god it becomes either subjective or unfalsifiable Right. Uh-huh. Um, and so the push there By the is always the falsifiability that we're using. It sounds, it sounds like, like they, they might, might even have a different definition of evidence and how that ties to falsifiability. Well, uh, the evidence. So in this case, the evidence is is proposed to be experiential, mm-hmm. right? And and I and I actually buy this to a certain extent. I'm not actually a, like a wholesale, uh, you know. I'm not wholesale decrying uh, the what they're promoting. I actually think that there is something unique about experience that 
um, and something that can be extrapolated from your subjective experience with certain uh, spiritual practices mm -hmm. that is distinct and even orthogonal from um, the, the what we can know about life through ob objective scientific inquiry you know and those does that make sense so far so my my, my operational, operational definition, definition of knowledge hangs up a little bit there, bit there. It, 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 it softens, softens. So, so there's there's, there's objective, objective knowledge this is knowledge that is called knowledge because it's a belief that can be falsified by someone other than me. So when I say that I believe there's a soda can on the table, and you say I believe, I also believe that that same soda can that you described is on the table. Now, because I have a belief, a firmly held belief, that is supported by someone other than myself, we both now have a claim to knowledge because there's this firmly held belief that we both have that seems to be this seems to overlap when we testify to each other. There seems there seems to be a lot of uh, agreement here. When it comes to subjective knowledge, uh, that gets really gray really quickly. Because, okay, you know everything that you experience, but I can't know anything that you experience. Right? So when it comes to beliefs, uh, when, you, when you testify about your uh, experience that I can't falsify, to be, to be able, able to claim to know, know those, those things can, can get really, really spurious really quickly. Right. Uh, it, that's why they have to be appreciated in, in two different frameworks. And and one cannot be, like, in the framework of subjective experience, especially with um, with spiritual, with, you know, distinct, like, the, the, uh, it's, oh, so in, with spiritual practices, I think of them as a sort of science in a way. That they do, maybe science isn't the best um, word to use, but there is a method to induce a certain state, which, you know, by some adherence is a state of godliness, you know, or, you know, but you're doing this to um, incite this and or to incite that which is this subjective experience, but it is reliable. Mm -hmm. What the nature of that experience is outside of the experiencer and the experiencer's experience is um, that, that I am agnostic about, you know, I just, I, I really don't know um, what somebody, what is behind the veil of my experience, you know, or beyond the veil. Um, and so I don't take it, whatever I am going to extrapolate from those experiences cannot be used as hard knowledge for my dealings in the world of epistemology of, of the greater epistemology of, of, of that has served uh, uh, humans in developing technology and the ability to anticipate our environment and all of its variables and all of our the variables of, 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 of human behavior like that is, that is a different uh, um, section of, of epistemology that 
what that is it has not almost nothing to do with my very personal internal experiences um that are labeled spiritual so yeah yeah, yeah, yeah i i, I use, use the word spiritual to refer to the, the mysteriousness, mysteriousness of waking, waking itself, itself. Uh, that's, that's what, what yeah. that's, that's what, what I like, like to refer to, to as spirituality. When you're yeah. when you're yeah. ready to admit consciously that you don't, you don't know, know what you are, you don't, you don't know, know what you are, you don't know what I am, you don't know what this is. Right? right? None, None of us know, know what this is. is. We're in a black, a black void on a floating rock, and we don't know why, and we don't know where we come from. Right? When you're ready to admit that, then that's a spiritual practice. I argue. Uh, yeah. yeah totally totally so i know and i i the way i'm framing uh spiritual practice is maybe a little too broad of a stroke because you're, you're talking, talking about, about you're talking about, about um meditative investigative practices where you're looking yeah i'm talking yeah and from, from your subjective and the like you know mm-hmm. and the like yeah. uh yeah. which is you know, for me, there are there are certain mantras um, that are local to Hinduism that um, I have developed my own relationship with. Mm-hmm. You know, and that might be you know the equivalent equivalent of uh, you know um, sacrilegious the way I use it to really. Well, if you think about it, if you if, Aaron, you rebel. Yeah, right. <laughs> but, like, so the the particular sect of Hinduism that I've been and I've talked to you about this before is that I've been um, in proximity to. I've never taken the full plunge mm-hmm. because I'm just I'm too agnostic and too suspicious of of what's actually going on mm-hmm. um, I, I, in in the religious organization uh that that you know a lot of these teachings are being um dispersed from mm-hmm. um but but my experience with it um i it has opened me up to how how pervasively dogmatic um the, the practice is mm-hmm. um, or th- it's an it's an ideology mm-hmm. it's um, it's it's a it's a assumption about the ultimate nature of reality and they start their assumption that with uh, that Krishna is the supreme su- personality of Godhead mm-hmm. and, and that you know um, we are all part and parcel of Krishna but there's th- but it's be- it's also beautiful because it's a very like um, intriguingly m- metaphorical m- metaphorically um, rooted tradition. Although the metaphors are paradoxically supposed to are, are used as metaphors, like poetic metaphors, hmm. um, like the the like the dance between uh, uh, Krishna and 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 Rada, and Radha, Radhika, and the 
um, this really bizarre dynamic between the the gopi girls, you know, these cowherd girls, and their you know conjugal love with Krishna. It's like really like beautiful poetry, um, and like and they approach their worship of of Krishna as of God as not just the father as you have in the Abrahamic religions. Mm. But as but but um, but from the vantage point of uh, but no no from your own vantage point but appreciating Krishna as a child as a lover as a father as a mother you know it's like uh, as everything so it has this and to me that th- this has developed that developed out of a very I I look at that as culture. You know, that's a cultural uh, peculiarity, right? Um, well, it's it's that, mythological, but every well, every well, myth is is cultural. Myth, myth is cultural. cultural. Myth is cultural, and you, you could argue that culture. You could argue that when when any every group movie. of people accept a myth, that that what's that makes their culture, right? That the culture is based on the the wide or the unanimously accepted myth right if you've got a thousand people and they all accept the same myth well that's the the bed on which the culture rises from which the culture rises uh yeah that's fine yeah so um but so i mean we we could go on and on about the 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 actual like dog the 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 content Mm. uh of this mythos in particular um, but what is most fascinating in my experience is how how it, just in the people that I've interacted with that are devotees of this the particular um, with uh, devotees of Krishna really mm, mm. Um, Krishna is very real it's it, it, like there's no metaphor really everything is happening right now and there's this very um bizarre paradox always happening like right now there, there's in the bhagavad-gita there's this uh, it, 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 it uh delineates the arjuna the protagonist's um experience with krishna revealing himself to him and and he's he's you know a warrior that's about to fight this great battle called the battle of Kurukshetra, and that battle and all of the moral uh, lessons that are imparted, moral spiritual lessons that are imparted mm. to Arjuna by Krishna, are you know there there are there is the secular metaphorical you know psychoanalytic interpretation of this stuff, but I've never met a devotee that doesn't take it one hundred percent literal that. The battle of Kurukshetra isn't happening right now. Like mm. we are, it's we are. It is happening. It is manifest in your experience right now. You know. So this um, is something like uh, Christianity, not 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 in its fundamental form, because fundamental has become very derogatory these days, meaning you're unreasonable. But just Christianity totally, totally. in the literal reasonable 
sense right, right. that we know right. uh, i know plenty of people who are reasonable they're reasonable people and they believe in christianity in its literal sense right they believe right. all of the text literally and they're reasonable uh, and this is just how this is you know so i want to ask you what do you think is the level of necessity for religious belief and the level of utility do you think that it's do you yeah, think that it's it, necessary well, for our species uh what's the, what well you... well yeah i mean i think there's it's like to, to me i think I, it seems kind of like noam chomsky talks about in his you know uh, he talks as a linguist talks about how language is we our our brains as humans have a distinct edifice for for language that no other species has, mm-hmm. and I I think that the I, th- I think that part of that of our our cognitive edifice um requires a if not a god. An actual, uh, how am I trying to say it? Um, I I think that we need God to a certain extent, if not God, a God-like concept. You know, Um, I I think it's fundamental to uh, to our the the way we are wired evolutionarily to to reconcile ourselves with um the the vastness of existence i um but that doesn't mean that we need i mean there's so many layers to this though there is so we so in rec in reconciling ourselves with the vastness mm-hmm. of of reality mm-hmm. My question would be, is there yeah. is there a concept other than God or, or that's what I'm getting at. yeah 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 um, I don't think there's it, a better concept than God. Just given my opinion, I think God is the is a perfectly yeah. suitable concept for reconciling reconciling oneself with the vastness of existence. Right. It, it's it becomes well. So it's interesting because. So, you know, in my experience in program and the the kind of carte blanche that you're given yeah. to to create your own higher power, I think it's actually brilliant. You know, I think that's like one of the biggest things that Bill Wilson or whoever was responsible for for like making it essentially secular um, it, it, in that regard. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Um uh, give it, giving, you know, full creative power to the individual to conceive of, of their high, their own higher power. Mm-hmm. I think that is what is, what is, uh, necessary, you know, for, for human beings to actually, to have the, the most authentic experience with 
with whatever that part of existence is that God is representing. I'm thinking now that while I'm thinking now that that it might be true for a large swath of society. I'm talking 30 percent. There might be 30 percent of people that even consciously would say, I cannot wrestle with the question of of uh, existence. I can't I can't do it. I won't do it. I don't want to. I'm not going to. I need someone else. I want someone else to wrestle with. I want other people to wrestle with those questions and then I'll choose who's yeah. wrestling the best and then go with that. Right. But they don't want right, to do right, the right. wrestling themselves. They won't do it. They say, I don't want to. I don't need to. Right. They say, I want someone else to do it for me. Kind of. That's perfect. That's a, that's perfect because I I got my I got a little bottlenecked when you brought when you asked me that question I was just because I that's why I paused for so long I was thinking of like which how what framework we're gonna uh, investigate this mm-hmm. in and that is I mean that that is so such a that that I that's where I would want to go with it right now so. Um, because it really does come down to uh, largely to I because I, when I when I'm thinking of when I was just ex, uh, explaining what I thought the best route or the the best setup is for people to have a genuine experience with what I really think is their innermost self, right? Is their their their, their the potential to interact with their highest self is what I think, you know, um, what at least I idealize in my spiritual pursuit, mm-hmm. right? It's That's what I see as self-realization. Mm-hmm. Um, that is, I would say that um, that route to having a relationship with any even just concept of God is... Um, you know, is the ex- is the exception. Mm. What you were mm. describing is is the rule. Mm. And um, I just thought of it this way too. So, and so while there are people who wrestle with the concept of where are we from, what is this, what's going on here, morally, existentially, yeah. philosophically, theologically, and those people wrestle, then there are many, many more people, at least ten x people that say okay you guys wrestle but we will judge we will judge whose wrestling is best and we will judge and and we will judge by the fruit they say if we've got 10 people over here all spouting their their ideas about where this all comes from we can tell which idea is the best by which idea actually moves us forward and then we participate and so while while we wrestle about ideas about what's true and what's not they judge what's true and what's not by choosing from amongst the wrestlers uh testimonies right um and and i would even i wouldn't even go so far as to say that the majority of those people are thinking in those terms it's it's almost you know um you know i think most people are either indoctrinated or there's a large swath of the people that you're kind of alluding to are you know, they ad- adopt um, unthinkingly what, you know, what is offered them by their, you know, the, by their parents. 
or um or if they do come to a religion i think it's or become to be convinced by the um ideas of certain a certain religion i'm not certain uh, that it's unthinking now i'm actually coming to the position that it's a form of of wise thought kind of like um i'm imagining someone driving a car and then someone in the car talking about how to make a better car and the person driving saying okay fine go build your car i'm not going to stop driving this one just cuz you've got ideas and so that's what the right. that's what the crowd does with these religious precepts they get in a car like you said they're born in a car and the, let's say they inherit the wheels they inherit control they're born in the back seat but then they grow up into the front seat and then you've got people in the passenger talking about it's not this it's this it's not this is this they go well you theorize i've got to drive <laughs> i don't i can't you know something has to keep moving and so you show me that right. your car moves and maybe i'll jump into your car but i'm keeping this thing going and i think that might be a wise Sort of, and you know, a lot of people don't do it. Well, well, you could what just it. what 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 just uh, came to my mind is mm. people hedging uh, towards uh, simplification, right? Mm. Mm. Um, it's it's like why why take? I mean, and I do this in a sort of masochistic way with a lot of things. I take the the unblazing, you know. Um, circuitous route to my own idiosyncratic notions about reality right mm. um and I, i'm really bad at hedging towards simplification in my life you know um i i usually end up making things more complicated not unnecessarily but um it, because it's serving the the purpose of investigation um off the beaten path as much as I think I'm doing that, but um, I think for and and I and I and I get that it's it's maybe uncharitable to just talk say to to, to say to use the phrase most people. I wish I I, that's, I keep wanting to say most people or this. It's just not. not I get helpful. you. What you want to do, and this is what I've learned just here in the past several months, really, from Jordan Peterson, is that. Uh, it's perfectly fine, fine to say most people, but then you just follow that with a positive thing, right? If you're denigrating most people, you're committing an error because right. we're, we're surviving right? as a species. We're doing it. We've got our flaws. Uh, you know, everybody's yeah. got everybody's got some host of flaws. And then the species has this whole host of flaws. I'm not saying we're perfect. We're never going to be perfect, but we're surviving. And mo I, I believe in the wisdom of the crowds. And so there's there's oh. the madness of the crowds and there's the wisdom of the crowds. And it's about how do we tease the wisdom out and appreciate the wisdom while dodging the madness to the maximum extent possible. Right. So I mean I say fine say most people just didn't follow it with a positive thing, because um, I think most people I think most people are <laughs> loving I think most people are God fearing I think most people are yeah. hardworking and lean towards honesty and lean towards the good I I don't think anyone's perfect nobody's perfect yeah but most I, people and you know are, are doing a pretty good job I think yeah and. I, I, this always reminds me of um, Socrates' idea 
that he proposes the question aren't most is anybody doing anything thinking that it is not the good thing to do however yeah. skewed their incentives are yep and however you know uh inappropriately calibrated they are to yeah, everybody's the hero in their own objectively good thing for themselves yeah um they think that they they are doing what is right yeah which then brings us to the idea of of moral relativism right of, yeah um what is right i mean are are there is there a objective universal uh set of morals I think there's I think there's one. I think that the survival of the species is a moral north star for us all. Right. And that's that's what I that's what I tend to argue. Yeah. Um and because we and the fact that we are mirrors of each of one another and that we're that interconnected and that we have empathy for pain and that we can feel you know celebration for the triumphs of others we do we do uh, now, i'm a i'm a human chauvinist so my feeling is if humans could survive in this galaxy with no plants and no animals i say fine make plastic ones make digital ones to show them to the to the great grandkids we used to have these we don't anymore but we're doing fine now um i don't i don't care in protecting the bees for the bees sake i now understand me i do care in protecting the bees because we don't understand where the ecological domino stops right so if we let the honeybee die and then the certain flower doesn't die and then these these crops don't germinate and then uh you know so we don't know where that cascade will fall on our head uh, and so for that reason i'm all for protecting uh, the reefs and the trees and the whales and whatever else cause you want to go for simply because we have to protect our species but once we i think that's why i think going to mars is going to be so awesome because we're going to once we're thriving on mars we're thriving independent of the dolphins and the bees and the bears uh and we can do that everywhere right that that's an interesting uh, thing to ponder is like what parts of the greater ecosystem on earth is necessary for preserving our way of life i guess that's where we start to evolve away from our you know um original uh environment yep. you know it's uh, and you know we, and you don't, if we you don't want to do we, this experiment the hard you don't want to find out the hard way <laughs> Right. You don't right. want to find out, oh, we needed that. That's not what right. we want. Right. Right. And that's, yeah, that's a whole project that I'm just haven't really thought about much, to be honest. But it, now that I'm now that we're here, I'm thinking about is obviously uh, I, I'm, I'm trusting that the, the best mind, the sharpest minds that would account for everything that you would possibly need before going on a multi-decade voyage um would <laughs> wouldn't wouldn't drop the ball on on the essentials right yeah, i think we i think we do drop the ball but the way i think we catch the ball is uh is exemplified in how our grandparents when they considered because they did consider they said hey wait a minute are we gonna 
are we going to do too much fishing? Are we going to do too much logging? They actually started to... Now, before them, nobody even asked the question. The earth was infinite before them. But our grandparents and great-grandparents, they said, wait a minute, maybe it's not infinite. And they did the research, and then they came back and said, actually, yeah, it is infinite. We can't even count all the fish and all the trees. We're fine. That was the conclusion they came to, but at least they asked. Our parents kind of kept it you know the boomers yeah. kept it going uh with it in mind that maybe we're doing too much but we're going to kind of keep it going and then now our generation uh x and z and millennials and zoomer and whatever you call yourself uh we're going no 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 we can kill this thing we need to put the brakes on so i think as a species we get it right i don't think any one person or one generation is going to get it right th- for the whole picture but as a species i do have long-term faith in us as long as yeah. we, as long as we, so Elon Musk said it so eloquently on the last Joe Rogan he was on. He said, he said, I think we'll be all right as long as we don't behave like that, like it's gonna, right? We will be all right as long as we don't assume that we're gonna be all right. Because if we assume we're gonna be all right, we're not gonna be all right. Okay. Well, that's you're talking about a kind of like mass level diffusion of responsibility, you know, right? Among the species that we. Yes, I'm talking about diffusion, but I, you know, I hope that every, every listener and certainly myself understands that diffusion of responsibility is just a conjecture. Uh, do you know the story of, of anyone who could do anything? Uh, I'm gonna Google it right now. Anyone who could do anything or something. It's uh, the story of something and everything. Someone, what a word. Oh, gosh, no. Um, the story of nobody doing what anybody could do. Anybody, somebody, and everybody. Let me see. Okay, is this a story? Okay. Any, nope, that's not the whole thing. This is this is a story about four people named everybody, somebody, anybody and nobody. There was an important job to be done and everybody was sure that somebody would do it. Anybody could have done it, but nobody did it. Somebody got angry about that because it was everybody's job. Everybody thought anybody could do it, but nobody realized that everybody wouldn't do it. It ended up that everybody blamed somebody when nobody did what anybody could have. So story. Oh my god, that is probably the most clever thing I've ever heard. <laughs> it's a great, it's a great bit. It's a great bit, uh, and it's exactly and to it, your point. And it, yeah, that is exactly it. That is exactly it, and, and that is what you know. Science is that. Like, it's not going to just like do itself, but it, it is a paradox in a way because it it kind of is, uh, and it, and that that brings us to determinism you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like it, it and and in this whole the the the, the conversation on you know free will and determinism and in, and as it applies to what we're talking about there are two to me si- simultaneously like it's a paradox uh that there is every reason to believe that there is volition uh and kind of, somehow however small the sliver it might be there is volition 
behind the the action um, while at the same time it is uh, you know broken down and uh, you know and reduced to its base parts um, we can see that it's is just as easily mechanistic yeah um, I don't think it's a paradox I, I think it is I I tend to be more towards the compatibilist uh, you know school of thought um, or at least a, I just a great think it's a matter of definitions. What do you think? Of, what do you think? Of, where, what makes you lean compatibilist? I'm, I'm just thinking the, the compatibility between um, and on different. And I have my own formulation of, 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 of compatibilism that I'm referring to that, that I find myself to be uh, that I find to be the most uh, compelling um, on, in, in this debate. Um, wait, what was your question? Sorry. I think it's a, I think it's a definitional problem. I don't think it's an actual problem. Um, I think it's a definitional problem. I think it's how, about how we define the term control. So in well, one, that's at the heart of yeah. control theory. Theory is at the control is at the heart of, well, I don't, I don't know about control theory, but just the definition of control. So it's true to say that you control what you think and it's also true to say that you don't control what you think and it's important to understand those two different connotations of control we are machines and so you don't control what occurs to you from one moment to the next um, that's not a seat of control. And when we say that you don't control what you think, that's the control we're talking about. The occurrence, the something right. simply popping into your mind. That's not under right. your control. The word control in the other sense that you do control what you think is a way of describing taking responsibility for what has occurred to you and the way you have acted in regards to it in re in response to it kind of in hindsight. So when you, when, when I utter uh, to, to use Sam's example again, I always give him a hard time when he does it, and then I do it on every every show. Um, yeah, when yeah. I when I utter a word, right, and it pops then, up. Yeah. No, when it comes out of my mouth, then yeah. I'm actually a little bit surprised by the word I chose, just right, a little right. bit. The exact phrasing that I chose is a little bit surprising, and then immediately as I hear myself say it and as you hear me say it i have to then take responsibility for that thing i just did right and we right. actually move through life like that every single moment what you're doing is I, you're you're yeah. doing an action and then you're comparing that action to the list of actions that you thought you might have done and if that action fits within the list of things that you thought you might have done you say i'm in control so if you uh, Aaron, in this very next moment, lifted your left foot, threw it as far as you could, and then landed flat on your back and then flailed your arms in another direction and stood back up. If you did that before you could realize what you're doing, you'd say, whoa, 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 I'm not in control. I'm out of control. My body's doing its own thing. And so that's the second version of control. And we just have to split split it that way and understand that we are machines and we do have volition because volition describes that sense of responsibility that you should have for every action that you take and if you if yeah that's what that's what volition in my opinion describes right 
Yeah. Um, volition just says, when, I, when you say I, that I, I have I, volition, I, you're just saying, I tend not to surprise myself. Right. Interesting. Yeah. I, so I, I, you know, I, I've often used that example of the, um, the kind of, yeah, being surprised at, and it can be kind of become kind of spooky uh, once you become aware of it. Cause like, I, I and I feel like it does affect Absolutely. my speech. It's incredibly spooky. <laughs> Come into this but space like, and get but, scared. You should be. Everyone should be scared. But let's feel into what's behind the, the the emergent impulse to speak. Like right now, I'm kind of you know I'm kind of I can feel the the this kind of blunt totality of my inner my my res, internal responses to myself mm -hmm. you know i'm i'm taught i just said internal responses to myself right mm -hmm. uh and so and and now that and um uh, invoked you know a visual of my you know the the area where i think all of my thinking is coming from mm -hmm. and and there's just this endless cascade mm -hmm. of of internal res reaction and then output Mm -hmm. um and then there's new input there's new stimuli um and and then it, it that incites a whole new or convergent uh strain of of internal um you know uh, internally generated information mm -hmm. and then that's spewed out um uh that that whole process is seems is just so mechanistic to me um but yet this is where the it's the, the, where the paradox is and maybe it's just a conceptual paradox it's not an um an, an ontological one um but the fact that i feel like i feel the impulse the and the key word there is feel the mm. experience which is an experience mm. there's an experiencer that is at the very least along for the for this ride mm. right this, this undulation of of thoughts and sensory experience and the whole jumble that that uh interaction is and so it forever feels like I have this this intellectual um, framework through which I understand the mechanism. I have a model of the mechanism, the deterministic mechanism that mm. I am an observer in, mm. um, yet have the ostensibility of um uh, of effectuating it some to some elusive degree to a large that, degree to a, to you you affect you effectuate the this is the second control you effectuate the path to the largest degree the concept you haven't touched on here is time that's the most important concept is that you don't control what you will do in the next 100 milliseconds 
That's not really up to you. What happens in the next hundred milliseconds will be something that will happen. will get checked on your register and then you'll go, okay, yeah, I kind of predicted that. And then you'll do the next hundred milliseconds. And that's what your body is doing every hundred milliseconds. The conscious frame rate is about 10 FPS just for you knowing what's happening in the world. That's about the quickest right, a person right. can react to a thing. It's about a hundred milliseconds. Uh, your right. body knows that your hand is on fire before your mind does. Your body's moving your hand away before it's even occurred to you that your fingers are on fire. So the body right. is operating at, the, our neurons are operating at several thousand FPS. And so for every, not several thousand, that's an exaggeration. Neurons fired about uh, a kilohertz. So, the body is operating about, let's say, 500 FPS. Your consciousness is operating about 10 FPS. And in between that 510 is, is our biological operations. But where the concept of, of control and volition are true and come into play in what you're talking about, and this is why I don't think it's a paradox, those things don't happen on the sub-second scale. Those things happen on the two seconds, five seconds, five minutes, right. two years. That's why it's not a paradox. Okay. Because we're talking so, about two sets of two different sets of time scale. Right. And so is right. So there's is there a, a an emergent quality uh that to the the, the the framing of time on a uh, on on a, on a macro scale as opposed to the micro scale that you you um denoted yeah yeah that's 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 a good way that's I, kind I of what you're referring but I, like, I would yeah i wouldn't have described it as an emergent quality but i think that's a good way of describing it. yeah when you consider because the human brain does consider the five seconds and the 10 seconds the human brain does consider the future it's part of what's special about our brain and in considering the future it's you you get this sensation of humanity and hereness and isness and potential you get all all of our concepts are bound up in this sensation of future imagine imagining uh, so many of our so many of our feelings are bound up in this in this concept of imagining what the future could be would be should be looking to and yeah and that's a sense and that even that sensation happens uh, I guess so our definition of control that seems paradoxical isn't because that second definition hinges on futureness. It hinges on it. When you talk about what college are you going to go to? What job are you going to get? What what are you going to do in your relationship? What are your plans? Right. All these are tied up in the concept of future. And when we're talking about control, which is and volition. That's right. what we're talking about. Um, and when we're talking about it in the shorter term, we're talking about it in the sense of not being surprised by your own behavior in the very, very short term. And when we're talking about one second, two seconds, sub-second, we're just talking about you don't behave in a way that's constantly surprising you. Right. As people with alien hand syndrome, they're, they're, they have one arm that's constantly surprising them. They testify, this isn't my arm. I don't control it. It's, it's somebody else's arm. Um, wow. Have you ever seen alien yeah. hand syndrome? What's that? Have you ever seen uh, just, there's video online of people with alien hand syndrome? They have they have one arm that's literally grabbing their shirt and knocking things over. It's doing conscious things, but it's not doing it at their instruction. And they can tell you they'll go. It's not my arm. It's it's doing its own thing. Yeah, no, I've heard of it. I haven't I haven't watched. Videos. Yeah, it's very no. peculiar. It's very, but but it opens up the it opens up the understanding for it lay the complexity of the brain 
Um, and that's perfect. That's that's great news. Um, so I, that's why I don't think it's a paradox. That's why I don't think the difference between free will, and not free will is a ontological problem. I think it's just a definitional problem. Um, and I lean much more and, and a scale scalar problem. I mean, just the, the, the for time. The scale yeah. Time exactly. and, and yeah, yeah. It's just it's a lack. So I lean. I'm in Sam Harris's camp. Yeah, it's just a lack of understanding of now. If I can air, if I can air this with you, I so Sam always argues that people think that free will is that that we can choose from any list of infinite options one moment to the next. I don't think most people think that. I think most people call free will just simply I don't have a gun to my head, therefore it's free will. Uh, to say it simply, right? I think I think that's the common yeah um, definition or the common. Uh, you know, so when he's always that, arguing that against free will, I scream at my at my machine or my podcast, and I go, "Sam, nobody thinks that." <laughs> I go, "You're arguing." I mean, he's making a perfect argument against the people that think that, but that the number of people that think that most people much, don't. They're very, very. They're the tiny minority. Few, right? Yeah, most people think as long as you don't have my kids, as long as you don't have a gun to my head, as long as I'm not being blackmailed, I'm doing what I want to do. As long as my actions but, are being generated from within, free, I'm operating on free will. But free will is very much a, and I mean, it is kind of similar to, you know, the, the, the hard problem of consciousness, right? In that it's, while it is uh, it is apparent that we have it, and it is that and it seems apparent that we have this consciousness, which is just defaultly, you know, kind of become synonymous with the soul. That's not how I understand the hard problem. No, the hard problem of consciousness is trying to understand how, why we're conscious at all. Yeah, yeah. The, to, I understand the hard problem as. Why does it? Why is there a first person experience at all? At, at all? Yeah. Well, why are we conscious at yeah. all? Yeah. Why is yeah? Yeah. No, no, what I'm saying is that the the I think of the the hard problem of free will, like how I don't think it's a hard problem. I I do. I I just wasn't convinced by what you what you just laid out at that that it's not that it's still not to me it's still paradoxical. How? To me, I don't understand the paradox. the the par The paradox is that is is in and you and you say that it's a definitional problem, and that I'm not taking into account the time, the, the variable, the variable of time. Yeah. Um, but that doesn't obviate the fact that uh, uh, the um experience of free will and in um no it, held, it's not meant to in, the, in the same in the same frame of reference as um a a, a you know a, a neurological level view of how the brain operates no 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 it's not it's not meant to do that so what what you can do and you do it all the time just notice try try to observe 50 millisecond intervals of your experience try I, I, yeah i can't obviously but I, in in just... the in the doing what you'll notice is that about 
every second really it's you don't really even feel those hundred milliseconds even though arguably some you know when you're when you're playing tennis yeah you can you can you can see the ball and react to it very quickly but just in normal waking it's really more like every second every half second second maybe two seconds your brain does a check is this what i thought i would do is this what i thought i would do is this what I thought? Well, no, it would of course, do? of course. But let's let's just do the the empirical the, the thought experiment hmm. with you know, with with thinking of you know a a, a, a base uh, think of a baseball team. You know, hmm. I just thought of the Rangers. Okay, you know, right? I mean, this is characteristic of every thought leading to the next thought, right? Hmm. But hmm. this helps isolate the the phenomena. Um. In that, so you have that, I thought of the Rangers, it's completely random. And so you're saying, okay, now, is that what I, so you're trying to look at the model that generates the Rangers, right? I wouldn't, um, I wouldn't describe it as looking at the model. I would just describe but, it as. But what, what you were talking about just now is like, it, it, like I, it's impossible to, to, um, to check in with yourself to verify whether or not that was what you thought you would think right well there is no way to know what you thought you would think that's not a possible thing you can't think a thing right. until you think it until it occurs that, that's to you. What I mean. yeah and so what happens is from in one moment something occurs to you something that you didn't anticipate right. occurring to you because you it's not possible that thing occurs to you in the next moment your mind checks is this a thing that I would have expected to occur to me? If when you ask yourself the question, think of a baseball team, your, right. bra your brain had gone, uh, the Chinese revolution instead of a baseball team, you'd go, what the hell? <laughs> that wasn't a right. baseball team at all. Right? I, yeah. Would I have expected for this to occur to me? Yeah. Your brain is constantly. Yeah. Going, I mean, I guess maybe I was just not uh, hearing that the way you were in, in intending it. No, yeah, because uh, it, it happens at the at that sub second frame rate. Your brain, well, your, that, your brain is sending something to your to your consciousness, and then a hundred milliseconds later, your brain goes, "Did I expect those things to occur?" And that happens every hundred milliseconds. Right. It's it's a right. It's um, I I read something on this. It's that has it's strong strong minimalist theory about the way hu uh, the human brain. Uh, instantaneously weeds out um, what is most salient and obvious for uh, as a response. But I, I I don't have it. I don't have it available enough. It's something I read like ten years ago. That's fine. Um, but my only but, work is to resolve that paradox of free will for you, so you understand yeah. that it's a definitional thing about time scale. Nobody's saying that you aren't responsible for the way you act over a given one minute time span. When we say that the will is so infinitely really quick, free, really, really quick. Okay, so but okay, so all of life is built up on a. Let's just take a ten minute time scale. Let's mm -hmm. take a one minute time scale. Mm -hmm. That whole minute, uh, however it unfolds and builds and 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 interacts. Um. That is built up of these, these nano responses and, and, um, 
Mm-hmm. And it's just a series of, you know, the, 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 the argument from causation, right? Um, that's for, for, for determinism. Right, is that um, we, we just simply aren't responsible for any of the prior no, causes? No, I wouldn't use that word that way. No, um, it means that the state of the universe at one subsecond more than likely indicates the state of the universe in the next, and the next, and the next, and that happens about thirty-five. Ten, that happens about ten to the thirty-five times. No, 10 to the 43 times a second as far as the universe, as far as physics is concerned. That's how fast that frame rate moves. But your neurons don't calculate. So your neurons don't calculate that change. That change is happening as one sugar molecule and one one sodium atom and one uh, potassium atom moves towards the cell membrane and eventually clogs up some receptor and, and sends. So all that is happening at that scale. And you at this scale look like a statue. <laughs> you at this scale, if someone were, were consciously processing at this speed, you'd, you'd be a statue. You aren't anything. Right. But then you come online about every hundred milliseconds. So however many nanoseconds that is where you go, did the set of things that appear to have happened in the last hundred milliseconds, did that overlap with the set of things that I thought might happen in that hundred millisecond interval? And your brain is doing that work consciously, and that can be investigated subjectively. You can pay attention to your thoughts and see them pop up and pop up and pop up. Totally. You, you can do totally. that. Um, and responsibility comes into play. When we're talking about the way that you are acting over a set of those time spans at about a second, right? So the way that you behave over a second is called responsibility because all of the rest of us people have to pin and and reasonably pin your actions on your bodice, on your physical continuous bodice. If you're the one throwing soda all over the room, that's your responsibility. And we're going to pin that on you and we're going to pin it on you every hundred milliseconds or every second, right? Uh, that's the, what the word responsibility means. So you don't have to take responsibility for what occurs to you. You don't. You don't have to take responsibility for what occurs to you. Should but I say that but, on but you're saying, but you, but you're saying yes. that in, in response to what occurs to you, then you're responsible. Yes, I'm, what I'm saying is that no, no person, no person has to take responsibility, quote unquote, for what occurs to them. Nobody does. I don't take responsibility right. for what occurs to me. What I take responsibility for and everybody should take responsibility for is how they act, how their muscles move. If they use their left hand instead of their right, if they say up instead of down, if they curse instead of use a kind word, whatever actions you put into the world on that second scale, that's what you take mm-hmm. responsibility for. Not what occurs to you, because if you but, you, but, but yeah. are, we, are, are we talking in terms of what the world, what society expects you to be responsible for, or are you talking in terms of. Uh, philosophically no the the definition of the word responsible so one way to break it apart is there's actually two parts of the word responsibility there's the locus of action and there's the the locus of accountability the uh, locus of accountability is only satisfied by an by a conscious entity so let's say a tree 
falls onto my roof and puts a hole in the roof. There's one way of saying, oh, the tree is responsible for the hole in the roof, but the tree isn't a conscious entity. And so that by saying the tree is responsible, that doesn't satisfy all of what we mean by responsibility. We would have to draw it back to the local city government that failed to cut those dead branches down when I told them about it last month. That's that's the other part of the response. That's the locus of accountability. And when we use the word responsibility, when I use the word responsibility, that's how I'm using it. I'm saying there's a locus of action and there's a locus of accountability that has to be a conscious entity. Now, in the case of an animal moving through the world, they're one and the same. When it's your left hand that knocks over a glass of water, it was your, it was physically your hand. So you're the locus of action. And it was you, the animal whose left hand it was. So you're also the locus of accountability. So we can use the word responsibility and, and satisfy both points most of the time. But sometimes you have to split it, as in the case of the tree. But that's what it means. It only it's responsibility only comes into play when there's more than one animal at play. If it's just you on an island and no other conscious entities, there's no such concept as responsibility. Naturally, yeah. All right, well, I mean... Have I, I resolved that be... paradox? Are you still thinking there's a paradox? A little bit, yeah. I, I just might be kind of dull. I might just have, <laughs> you know, parental cognitive atrophy. I don't know. Um, I just, for some reason, it's, not, it's it's just not clicking. I'm just not convinced. Like, you know, it, I, I just haven't had the, the aha moment. Um, uh, but that's okay. That is you know, fine. To, that is fine. To, to be continued. How are um, your, I, how I, are your yoga I, practices these days? Uh, not like, not really, not great, to be really? honest. Yeah. It's like, I'm, I think I've fallen towards um like i'm so busy mm. that i when i'm not working or take child rearing or um connecting with my partner to uh you know solidify the the homestead um i'm like i'm really inclined to to lounge you know, and um, when I wake up, I, tr I, I try to get some meditation in and to um, release some back pain and uh, like for the physical yoga, I just don't do it all. Hmm. It just doesn't, yoga asana does not work for my body anymore. I I, I abuse I abuse my body too much with it. It's just mm. not the thing that's gonna be the best to you know recalibrate my body. Mm. So, um, but yeah, um, I'm you know what I'm I'm really just kind of on an on autopilot and kind of just you know energy is expended in in a largely inefficient way um you know or just on account of not like if if i and i think it comes down to just being distracted and the type of mind that i have in conjunction with um 
technology with mm. with green technology i'm really easily distracted and i don't want to be and i have so many things that i want to uh, uh pay attention to and contribute to and improve mm. and creative uh projects that i want to focus on and it's uh it's really a challenge to um to make myself properly value my time. Mm. Oh. Um, Alarm cell. Yeah, <laughs> right. Um, I, you know, this just brings up the idea of, of the dissonance between who I want to be in practice and, and, and the, the, the ideal of a human that I want to strive towards being mm. and who I end up uh, defaulting to. Mm. And, 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 you know, when, when, when the rubber meets the road. Yeah. And, you know, this also kind of brings me back. I think this brings the conversation back a little bit to uh, to the, the free will and personal responsibility um, conversation because it I, I think I I I took when I read Sam Harris's free will mm. uh, however long ago that was God that was probably 10 plus years ago um, I I would say that affected the notion that I am not really on a uh, on the, the the finest resolution level responsible, at least not in the way that I thought I was for my I respond to um, to life basically. Mm. Um, that. I feel like that kind of seeped into my my core on a subconscious level and started to inform my and and still does to a certain degree um, inform certain decisions mm -hmm. like I I've even caught myself thinking like it doesn't I don't really have control over this mm. anyways and, and not the kind of control like where I'm you know like I'm surrendering my will to my higher power like in a like in a 12 step sense I hear you you're talking about when you're talking you're actually talking about fuck it that's actually right. that's actually the fuck it it, it, it contributed uh -huh. I think it still does contribute because I'm still and this comes down to belief too right because it's like at any one time I'm like I and I don't like using the word belief because I think it's a little too loaded. Mm. But I'm convinced. Uh, I'm more convinced of certain explanations than others at a given, um, you know, intersection of experience, right? Mm. As we all um, are. What's that? As we all are. Y you know, so. Um, at those intersections of experience where, you know, I need to make a decision and it's a decision informed by morals. Mm -hmm. um, 
I think that I am defaultly more convinced of the fact that I do not have the kind of free will that would allow me to make the right decision here, to make a decision at all. And that's, this, is a, this is a good framing for the paradox, as it is. Well, I was gonna, actually going to say that that's just not true. Right. The the idea. So it's about that's about your definition. No, it's, it's an I, I agree. I don't think that simplify that's an oversimplification of it that is misleading. But that is how my mind in those moments leverages the the. The concept, however skewed it is. Yeah, I get it. But if you think that a can of Pepsi is actually a can of Coke, that doesn't create a paradox that doesn't create a schrodinger's cola simply because you believe both things um so the definition of free will and responsibility doesn't begin for personal accountability until the second level and so once there once you get that set you are responsible for everything you do over the course of several seconds you're not responsible for what occurs to you in that time span under a second um, and so it sounds like you're having trouble moving from one to the other, right? Moving from the position of, well, I'm not responsible for what occurs to me and how I act is a direct output of the things that occur to me and, and, and the choice or the impulse that I make at that moment. And then I'm supposed to be responsible for this choice or input or output when I wasn't responsible for the occurrence, um, and it sounds like that's the the tro- the gap you're having trouble navigating. Right. What I don't understand though here is after the occurrence, isn't it just a succession of occurrences? Not uh so that's where the impulse comes into play. So your mind is constantly occurring thoughts and intentions this is and these are the things that you're not responsible for you're not responsible for the thoughts and intentions that occur to you nobody's going to hold you responsible for those you don't become responsible until you act and the transition from occurrence and you're you're talking it sounds like it sounds like you're talking from a you know the way that we hold up the law you know, no, I'm talking, it's I'm talking like biologically, so and philosophically. So you're not you're not responsible for your current for what for your thoughts and intentions because those just pop up in your mind. You are right. responsible for your actions, and the way that intentions become actions is through what I call the impulse. And so, and I, I've yet to figure out what Nietzsche calls it. I think Nietzsche but that, calls that, it. The, I'm sorry, what, just, just one second. That, that just seems so counterintuitive that the impulse is the beginning of where you're responsible. I'm just sorry, at least, no, at the very least. That's the, not the definition the of impulse that I'm using. I understand the way you heard that. That's not the way I meant it. I didn't mean it yeah. as buying gum at the last second at the counter. That's not what I meant. I'm using it a different way. No, the, the impulse is it's, 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 the, it's the response to the occurrence, right? No, the impulse is the action. So here, here's something that, that okay. illustrates All right. it. So I, let's say you're yeah. getting dressed. And you put on an outfit that's black and blue and you have two pairs of shoes that you might put on the black or the blue or the blue pair. 
You're walking mm-hmm. towards the door. You know that you have to put on one of these two pairs of shoes in the next 10 seconds in order for you to have to leave. And as you're getting off of your bed or as yeah, as you're getting off of your bed and you're walking into the, let's say, the front room closet, you honestly don't know what pair of shoes you're going to put on. Honestly, in that moment, because the way you've constructed your outfit, you've you've left it up. You go, I honestly don't know if I'm going to put on the blue or the black pair. You know that both pair are there. You open the closet door. As you open the closet door, you honestly don't know which pair of shoes you're going to put on. They're both equally comfortable. They both match your outfit. You've you've prepared for this eventuality that you're going to have to put on one pair or the other. You don't know. So the occurrences and the intentions are, you know, you look good in the blue pair. The black pair is actually more comfortable. So-and-so just bought you that blue pair. They're going to be looking for it. So-and-so hates that black pair. and You're going to upset them if you wear them. These are the things that occur in your mind over the span of one second as you, as your head goes from level to looking down at the shoes. And then at one point, the impulse will send your arm towards the blue pair. And then a hundred milliseconds later, you will either take responsibility for that action as something that you expected, or you will say, why did I reach for the blue ones? That was so surprising, right? And that's what will happen. Uh, And you don't take responsibility until that action occurs in the world. That's what you're responsible for. So you're not responsible for thinking the thoughts that you thought. You're not responsible for your deliberations. You're responsible for that moment your arm began going towards the blue pair. Sure, sure. I mean, I to, I mean to be honest, when I talk about this, so I, I guess I just use different language. But no, I'm the one using think, different language here. I've used I'm using impulse in a in a unusual sense. No, but just the phenomenon you're talking about. I mean, this is I, I when 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 I talk to people about meditation, and I and I and it's inductive the way I talk about it. Mm. You know, this is just I'm using an assumption of a heuristic to, to like move the, you know, to move it along. So, so, so I can, so I can be functional. Right. Um, but it's this idea that, you know, everything, the, the occurrence, the, the, the kind of the, the randomness of, and the, um, the emergent quality of your your thoughts and the precursors to action mm-hmm. are all genuinely deterministic, and um, not and that's not to say that the, the latter portion of this whole phenomenon, str- the string of phenomenon, doesn't influence. There's a there's another level. Doesn't recursive, recursively influence. Yeah. Well, let me just finish. Okay, let me just yeah, finish yeah, my thoughts. Please. Um, um, uh, I lost my, my train. Sorry. You're uh, fine. Hopefully it comes back. So there's another level here that yeah. matters and it's worth, it's worth mentioning. You are responsible for every, oh. every yeah. action that your skeletal muscles take. So let's say you're sitting in your living room, uh, and you're looking at your phone and your right leg is crossed over your left and your wife says, Aaron, you lazy bum. There's so much trash in the kitchen trash can. You need to take that out. Whether your leg moves to uncross your legs at that moment or in two seconds or in five seconds or in a minute or whether you just cross one over the other or get out of the chair, those are the things you're responsible for. 
You're responsible for the way your skeletal muscles move from one moment to the next. All the things that occurred to you as you're, after your wife said those things, that's not, you're not responsible for those things. <laughs> Whatever thoughts occurred, that's those, that's just what occurs. And so the, the layer that I wanted to talk about was that you have to take responsibility for the way you act right now, when you act a certain way in June, 2021, that's literally going to change what's possible in July 2021. And that's and, and the, you have to take responsibility for those actions in August 2021, such that here we are at, as people older than 25. Yeah. We now have to take responsibility for everything that we did up to now. Right. And so it's and, and, and the things that you did up to now are lar- have largely shaped the things that occur to you. This is the feedback. Right. You've made you've you've done all these actions that you have to take responsibility for, even though you don't have to take responsibility for what occurs to you in one moment to the next. But what does occur to you when your wife talks to you in that one moment now that you're 37 years old, as opposed to all the other things that might occur to you? You have to take responsibility for everything that you every way that you acted up to that moment. And you have to take responsibility for the contribution that those actions give to the list of things that occur to you in that moment. So that's the right. feedback loop is that you don't you don't control what occurs to you now, but your part. So or let me say it this way. You aren't responsible for what occurs to you right now, but you in this moment are at least partly responsible for the things that will occur to you in the future, because those things are based right. on what right. you're going to do between now and then. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that, that's exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And so that's, but, that's uh, the responsibility. Just, 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 yeah, well, just to finish off my I, the idea that I was mm-hmm. talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's all the, the whole mechanistic aspect of it. But then when when I would talk to, when I've talked to people about meditation, I invoke this idea that well, it what might fit into this picture is that meditation actually helps to expand that sliver of effectuation That's of. Right. of um right uh in and that in the span of that of the impulse that you're talking about yep right oh yeah oh yeah right because if because you're essentially slowing down time you know relatively you're stretching out the distance between um so your brain is constantly producing a list of things that you might do and then at some point that's not under your control an impulse will occur that will send your actions in one way or another. What you want to do is you want to maximize the distance between the creation of that list and the onset of that impulse. That's what you right. want to do. And that's what meditation does. Meditation stretches those things way apart where you could have this wild list of things occur to you. But that doesn't mean that you're going to act on the third one or the fourth one. Or the I, one. I, I, yeah, because I, I think of the opposite. Um, orientation to somebody to to a Chen master or some you know, somebody who is just so still and has has essentially slowed hmm. their experience down so much i think of the opposite of that as being somebody who's schizophrenic or somebody mm-hmm. who just has absolute has just endless cascades of of unwanted thoughts hmm. and and has almost zero effect on you know reorienting themselves in the 
you know, the, 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 st- the storm of their, their mental experience, mm-hmm. you know? And so it's just interesting to think of the, the scope of what is possible in, in that experience with, um, with, I mean, with volition, as we've, as you've just kind of laid out and now I'm seeing it more. Absolutely. So if we, if we describe the mind as a tornado, then someone, and, and let's say you are always at the center of this tornado and it's not an eye of the storm thing where it's calm in the middle, it's whirling in the middle and out for some distance, right? So you're at the center, you're always at the center of the mind as a tornado. A schizophrenic person is wearing a wingsuit, maximum drag, and they're just being spun wildly and it's it's an excruciating experience outside and in. A Zojin master is... Uh, is a is a stretched out paper clip. There's what what right. this spinning can go on forever and they won't budge because there's no wind, there's no oh. resistance, right? How much resistance right. are you putting up against your own thoughts? If you're putting up maximum resistance, they're gonna spin you around in a tornado and they're gonna break you, they're gonna rip you to shreds. If you're putting up no resistance to your own occurrences, they're just gonna pass. It's gonna be like a calm wind, no matter how turbulent it is, because there's no resistance. There's nothing to grip you. And that's what meditation yeah. does. Meditation reduces your resistance to your own thoughts. Totally. Yep. Yeah, it's there, it's a good way to it's a good way to be. I mean, and, and you know, I guess to our earlier point, this is what we did on Friday night. <laughs> Right. And then uh, everybody would want to tune out. Go. I mean, to me, to me, <laughs> I, I tell you, it it hit me and it stuck with me the moment I heard a life unexamined is not worth living. This is what occurred to me the first time I read it. The first time I read that phrase, a life unexamined is not worth living. The the fact of not examining the very moment I was living in is what struck me. And ever since then, that's all I've been doing is just what can i do to better examine this moment that i'm in right because that is that's what it boils down to there's Mm -hmm. i mean we don't have anything else everything that we conceive of past and future is born out in our our experience right here right now Mm -hmm. you know so it's like you have to do that you have to plan and you have to for the future and you have to take notes from the past but it is strange though you know given the slippery uh you know temporal aspect of your experience it made me think of uh, how important it is to choose who you imitate so we as animals are always imitating um and as i can i can just say my own experience as a as a male who identifies as male uh and my dad wasn't ever really in the picture i had a stepdad for a while and so i was always looking for males to emulate uh, to learn how to be male right how how do you as a little as a little boy that's a question that you ask yourself deeply how do i be a man how should i behave how do i do um, how do I make it in this world? And so I emulated Tupac, um, which for better or for worse, uh, you know, that's what it is. Uh, I emulate my uncle 
Kelvin, I emulate Barack Obama, I emulate Elon Musk, I emulate Jordan Peterson, I emulate Sam Harris. And so I'm I take responsibility uh, for all the men. I when sometimes I toggle my head and I say a funny thing and I emulate Aaron Danks. <laughs> when I feel when I feel particularly witty, uh, a lot of times I'm channeling my inner Aaron. Uh, and I think, yeah, and I take, and I take full responsibility for for the men that I emulate. And I think that's an important factor too when you're thinking about the storm of your own mind. Right, right. Just the the, the different channels of influence mm-hmm. that we all that we all have. I mean, we all. I mean, that's the, the weird. Th- the weirdest thing is trying to understand the the continuum and the dynamicism of. <laughs> our personalities Hmm. you know and um yeah um wait so i because we so we have about i don't know how it seems like we're around two hours yep getting there yeah so um i just i i do want to talk at length about um what we were talking about the other day yes um the the most desirable topic on earth right now. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what what have you found? You've been doing some research the past forty eight hours. Um, I haven't ha- been able to do a ton of research. I mm-hmm. did read on um on uh, what was the name? Uh, Bogosian, Lindsay, and Pluckrose. Mm-hmm. So I I I had heard about that, but I hadn't read about it mm-hmm. and um. You know, it's pretty, um, pretty revealing, but not surprising, Hmm. you know, um, but yeah, I haven't done, you know, I, I would just like to just kind of just go from where I'm currently oriented on this topic. Yeah. Um, it still sounds like a mystery if anybody's listening. But um, <laughs> those who those who know have caught on as soon as you said Bogosian pluck rose, uh, Lindsay. Right. And so, yeah, so we'll just start with uh, I kind of want to start anecdotally with mm-hmm. this. Um, because last year when uh, George Floyd was murdered and we can say he's mur- he was murdered. Yep. I mean, <laughs> He was convicted, was, uh, second and third. Convicted, yeah. yep. Um, so that was, you know, that was kind of the peak of the, you know, the moralistic res- response, and and that's when you know the riots took place. And I, 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 I this anecdote starts with, um, how easily I got swept up in the um defund the police anti-racist fervor Mm. um it was it wasn't that i got swept up in it um you know i was you know um suspicious but my guard went way down because i mean when i when i saw the video of george floyd um it's 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 particularly grotesque, and it and the the emotional appeal of it is um, is strong in in terms of the the injustice and what it feels like it portends the way your mind or the way my mind in that situation. And I think a, a lot of people experience this as well. 
um, portends the the greater problem, right? Mm. Um, however misled it, it might be. Um, nonetheless, um, you know, um, my my wife Amber was very quickly. Um, you know, reading books on anti-racism and, you know, was listening to all the podcasts and it just quickly became this pro this, 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 um, this response to this, you know, I don't know what number out of all the, the, uh, police, the, the police, the, the white on black police killings George Floyd was, but, mm. uh, it, it seemed like that was the tipping point, mm. you know? Um, and, and so now we needed to start really paying attention to this issue for what it was, mm -hmm. which is that white supremacy, the, the boogeyman of white supremacy is, is real and it's, it's, it's impossible to stomp out unless we attribute racism in every nook and cranny where it might exist at least that's what some the, say it like, is what's that at least that's what some say it is the problem right yeah. but that, but that's what you know you know um that's what you know robin d'angelo mm -hmm. and anahasi coates and and uh kendi and and that group are are saying and um and at the time, it was just interesting the way the way it happened because I um, there's also Renee Edo Lodge. I don't know if you. I don't. No. Look uh, Rennie, I can't remember. Rennie or Rennie or Renee, uh, who wrote "Why I'm No Longer Talking to White People About Race." Oh gosh. Yeah. So it's just it, it, it's all. So what I it took me a while to become disabused from this like possession because i did become possessed by it mm. i was like yeah we gotta like and, and but it but i was also like really confused because it's like okay um i can't i can't understand and we can't nobody can understand you know what black people go through it's such a distinct experience that but that that I I just can't I can't understand it. I'm also the problem. How am I the problem? Mm. Um, it's in this extraordinarily elusive way mm. that I can't I can't. And so I experienced this kind of internal collapse um, where I was like, wait, how? And I couldn't parse it. You know, I couldn't mm. get to a practical place. I couldn't get to a place where I could practically move forward with it. It just came mm. to down to like, well, just you just have to be quiet and censor yourself, Terrible. you know, With, right? Mm. So I experienced this, mm. and and I and this coincided with you know going through a really difficult time with my my wife, mm. and we actually separated for six months, and um, and so I wanted to i was i think i was trying to 
latch on to any point of agreement that we could possibly have. Mm-hmm. And so I, I kind of, I think I kind of followed her also, you know, being moved and, you know, um, by, by the, the viewing of the killing of George Floyd and, mm-hmm. and, and everything that was happening and, and, you know, unscrupulously accepting it as legitimate and the only path to, you know, that there, there has to be this, there's, there's this necessary uh, phase of chaos as, in order to, to move forward so people take the issue seriously. Mm. And, and then I got my, my, my bearings about me again. And, you know, because I remember, you know, hearing like Sam Harris talk about it. And he's he's never, you know, faltered. He's never, you know, been shaken from his position on it. Um, and and then also, oh, it wasn't Sam Harris though that that kind of woke me from the stupor. It was uh, John McCorder and uh, Glenn Lowry. <laughs> John and Glenn. Yeah, I mean they're they're amazing. Yeah, you know, and you yeah. can't. I mean, like the the fact that the leaders of the of this thought movement. If I'm gonna I'm gonna channel some Glenn and I'm gonna say, you mean it's surprising that there are black people that act like individuals? <laughs> Is that right. surprising? Right. Yeah, that's me yeah. channeling Glenn. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's great. Yeah, I just listened to his um his conversation with Yasha Monk on Is It oh, Okay? Wow. To... That would have been great. Have I, you have I you didn't heard hear it? that? No, no. He talked about uh, I love Yasha so Monk. It's, yeah yeah it's really good um but he just believes so i mean like glenn is coming from the place of like um appreciating the progress i mean it's mm-hmm. he's really of a piece with martin luther king it's not yep him and you know what i mean yep right i mean and sam for that matter and, and exactly <laughs> yeah. and martin martin luther king is would be canceled by my estimation uh, or would or would be uh, would he, rejected, I don't not know. canceled, not not canceled. Sorry, cancel was the wrong word. He would be he would his his ideas would be rejected by the by the woke left, is what I'm saying. Well, I don't. So the, part of the part of the problem with with what's going on today is that there are a lot of people that are convinced that race relations in the United States are synonymous with race relations pre-civil rights. So this might as well be 1962 America in a lot of people's minds. Um, Right. And that's just not true. Right. And so uh, we have the the freedom fighters won a lot of progress. And part of that progress was the civil rights act that says that if you're a public facing institution, you can't discriminate uh, on race. And you just you can't do it, right? If you if you uh, say you sell cakes to everyone who walks by and can pay for a cake, you can't say I'm not going to give you a cake because you're black. Uh, you just can't do it, and that's against the law. And so that's what they won. And so racism today is a slipperier, slipperier, slipperier beast. Uh, it's it's not flat out conscious. And what I call for is I call for not changing the definition just so we can still keep fighting it. We have to admit that Dr. King won a victory and and that was against first degree explicit racism in that it's no longer cool 
to be racist. It was cool to be racist in America before the civil rights movement. A lot of people did it because that was the way it was going. Uh, colors only water fountains. We've all, we've all seen the, the images. They won that fight. And so today racism is just about the general kind of bias when you see someone and the kind of human bias that you that the heuristics that the human brain has to use to do certain calculations so, right which makes it the most more creeping because when you're trying to control human behavior at that level then it, it, it the 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 solution then becomes a problem that outweighs mm-hmm. The original problem it exacerbates right. it yeah and if not it will inf- inflame the problem yep that, and it does yep it, i i think it does just on its face when when you have the res- a response to a very subtle form of bias being we need to snuff out that very very invasively that that subtle that internal experience that you're having and you need to censor yourself to the point where you're you're then giving preferred treatment on the basis of 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 color yeah right yeah and which is a world that i personally don't i wouldn't want to live in where because that's the it's like it really is the like least interesting part about most people I think when the, it comes I think the space that has to be navigated in this conversation is that racism, uh, explicit hate, hate filled racism uh, is no longer cool in America and it's on the decline and the pernicious, damaging, poisonous effects of slavery are a chattel slavery of black Americans is still yet to be reconciled. So those two ideas are not mutually exclusive. And a lot of people treat them as if they are. You have to say oh, right. either either slavery is still going on or it's over, right? <laughs> and then, and neither of those things are true. Well, no, I take that back. Slavery is still going on, but it's not the slavery that, that these people decry about. So the 13th Amendment has an exception in it. It says that slavery is illegal in the United States, except whereof, whereof uh, conviction of a crime for a duly convicted crime. So people who are incarcerated, people who are jailed in the United States are still technically slaves under the 13th Amendment. Slavery as an institution still exists. Every time an inmate is paid $2.50 an hour to fight a fire, that's slavery. Every time an inmate is paid $1.50 an hour to make McDonald's and Starbucks cups, that's slavery. And that's still going on in the United States. That needs to end. Um, And it's also true that race relations have gotten a lot better over the past 50 years, and there's still room to go um and that's it and so uh, what i see coming from this this broken uh religion from the left is that people have found that they can actually gain a lot of attention and a lot of power by changing the definition of racism uh to say effectively everybody's racist and i'm going to teach you how not to be because everybody's afraid of being labeled a racist and so they're kind of playing on people's fears because everybody's afraid of being pinned uh, a racist in their professional or social workplace they're capitalizing on that fear saying you're afraid of being racist i'm going to tell you how not to be racist buy my book uh this is how you don't be racist and they're, they're capitalizing um and they think they're helping uh, to be fair to them as humans i, I don't think that I don't think that Ibram X. Kendi and Robin D'Angelo are um, 
I don't think they're secretly wicked uh, with some secret plot. I don't. I think they are who they claim to be. No, and, that, yeah. and that's the thing. I was thinking about that earlier. Um, is it, I, I think the tendency, you know, and I, I have the, I have a tendency. Like I think most people have this. This is totally normal. This is a survival instinct. But uh, when you start to disagree with somebody, or you or you see if somebody is in a position of consequence, um, and they're uh, they're a thought leader on on so uh, on in an area where you can see the um, the the troubling impact that mm-hmm. it will have mm-hmm. on on the greater sphere of, of of um of our society um and 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 how it will yeah it just yeah um then then i it's it's hard not to to resist categorizing them as as hostile yeah to to Pro, to actual progress. Yeah, the categories yeah. that uh, the categories that I've been able to identify that aren't that don't demonize them, but this is true about them, yeah. is that they're trying to redefine racism to no longer be an act of individual conscious hatred. They're trying to they're trying to widen that word to mean other things. And so I disagree with that. I disagree with that recategorization. Race is that redefinition. Right. So and, and I think my experience that I um, that I shared was was perfectly demonstrative mm. of that. You know, it, it was like, OK, I'm OK. I know I have implicit bias. It's not just towards black people. You know, it's towards all manner of people, categorically. Well, I mean, even Depending. even the phrase implicit bias, uh, I subscribe to it for a bit. I don't subscribe to it anymore. What I understand that phrase to really be describing and, and pointing towards is the biological heuristic that the brain has yes. to use sure. to process sure. the world. The world has an infinite amount of variables. The human brain can't process them all at, at any one time. And so you have to use heuristics. You have to use shortcuts and categories and groupings in order to live. You can't live consciously if you don't use some right. sort of shortcut right. in your mind. Right. Uh, so See, but that, yeah. that, gets, that gets framed as as defending stereotypes, right? So it, it can't, it, I've seen it, and we've all seen it, that, yeah. that the way you just, you've kind of given Defending that part of our biological, what's that? Uh, no, so and just in thinking of, so if I'm accused of defending stereotypes, here's, here's, what, I'm, here's what I'm defending. I'm defending your right to think whatever you want. That's what I'm defending. When you see me right. and you see me a brown skinned person, think whatever you want. That's what I'm defending. I'm not gonna police right. your thoughts. I don't want exactly. to, I don't plan to. It's your actions. This it's comes down actions. to the, it's your actions. this comes down this perfectly coincides with our what we were just talking about with, mm. with Will and where where we where responsibility takes form. Right? That's and, right. And it's it's in how you respond to what occurs to you. That's right. When it when it when it emerges that you know somebody 
somebody of color uh, is it within my range of, you know, is, is in my bubble. Mm-hmm. Um, I have that immediate re- response. I, it's, it's embedded in me. That's obviously all I meant by implicit bias. Maybe it's not. Maybe there's well, something loaded. So about the, that. the phrase but, "implicit bias" but, carries a negative connotation these days. Right, right. Yeah. But my, it is up to me. This is the difference mm. in in being racist or not, and mm. the way I the way I see it. Do I choose to run with that mm-hmm. current with that, with that idea, or do I put it into context? And do I, um, essentially, uh, you know, veto it? And it's and, like, it, and that's the proper level of analysis. So I can tell you a story. I was in a study hall, and a guy, young guy, walked in, young man, right, probably about twenty, wearing a uh, Muslim headdress or head head. So he, he appeared to be Muslim. He appeared to be of Arabian descent. Uh, and he so he was someone who was appeared to be Muslim. I don't know how else to say it. Uh, and he walks in and he sets a bag down and then he walks towards the other side of the room. And my heart began to race. <laughs> I'm, I'm, this, this is what happened. I'm sitting at a table. He sets the bag Sorry. down at one end of the table and my heart began to race. I'm looking at the bag. I'm watching him walk for all the three seconds this is happening. He was the only thing that I could see in this room for about three seconds. You know what he did? He turned the light switch on, he went back to his bag, and he pulled out some books. So in that situation, (laughs) I'm not going to accept any sort of uh, criticism along the lines of a a racist reaction, because the years 2017... Or, or yeah, or it was before that. It must have been about 2015. And a Muslim guy just dropped a bag and walked away, and my heart began to race. I'm not going to be de- labeled as unreasonable for having that physiological reaction. Had I stood up and said something, that would have been unreasonable. That would have been racist. But I didn't stand up. I didn't say anything. I gave the guy a chance to behave. And how did he behave? Like a normal student, like I was. And then I said, "Oh, what a what a thing! What a thing to experience!" Right. Because this is this is the part of what how racism, uh, real racism moves through the world is that people used to see someone with brown skin, have this averse physiological reaction and pull their kids inside and bring out a camera and call the police. And they still do today. They do a lot of that. Uh, Have all these crazy reactions. Give the person a chance to behave, (laughs) you know, give them a chance to be an upstanding participating citizen. And then maybe maybe you'll you'll see races a bit uh a bit differently going forward yeah yeah and it's um yeah fortunately that's the thing that we're i think you and i are not in touch with the broader sample of of racism as it's acted out in the world you know i I mean we have we have you know what I mean? Uh, we're Southern Californians, Middle America, yeah. and you know, like it, it's pretty. And I, I've known people, I've known people who are, are who are explicitly racist, wow. and, and it's and they don't bat an eye mm. because I, I mean, I, I used to work uh, uh, somebody I knew through my dad, and I he he was from Texas, and his whole cohort 
that I worked with was from Texas. And they, you know, they just, you know, glibly threw around the N-word and mm. in derogatory in a derogatory way. In the as the uh, slur, it, they use it as the slur that it is. As the slur that it is, exactly. Yeah. And I was just like, I couldn't believe because they seemed perfectly normal, nice guys. They were mm. not nice to me, mm. you know. And, and I remember I was out, I was on a, a trip with all of them, and we were going out to dinner, and they without, had all had a without few beers. saying the slur or even the letter that it starts with, because I'm actually opposed to that movement. Uh, you just use the word, just use the word blacks in its place. Do you remember ex- exactly what they said? Right. Um, It was well. The the gist of it was that no, I can't remember exactly what they said, mm-hmm. and they it, and and it was uh, over multiple occasions. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's but they, but they used to it to describe blacks, and they said the slur instead. Yeah, he was saying that this. It was something to the effect that I'm not going to do that thing. He's just a black man you know mm, mm, i'm not mm. gonna do that for him he's mm. you know it was it was like that level of, mm. um but it was so unconscious and so like it was just as 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 commonplace you know as calling you know uh amber my wife you mm. know it was just mm. like it in it, it it's the the culture collision there i remember just feeling like i wanted to push back and and say something but you know they they had been drinking a little bit and i you know there was just um it seemed like it would have been a waste of energy Mm. and and um yeah i can't remember i think i was just actually just that it was really shocking Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. i I, i'd never really been around somebody who's um, I've I've heard you know I've been around people who joke about it, you know who make you know, but and it's it's always within how whatever you think about that, um, that is different from the 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 real like stark hostility that was mm-hmm. endemic mm-hmm. to their speech, you know. So yeah, I've um, never I've never really encountered it. The closest I've ever come was uh a guy who uh is in our peer group shall remain nameless uh in our peer group uh who i had a number of interactions with face to face uh seemed like a perfectly nice guy and then i saw a comment that he had left on twitter and he said blacks tip badly but he didn't say blacks uh wow. and i and i thought oh well that's the last time i interact with you Jeez Louise, uh, I never would have known. You know, he never said anything to my face. But in hindsight, what all I can pick up was that in hindsight, when I said something at a group table that might have been slightly funny or but his reaction to me didn't exactly match the group. And I took that as he just didn't think I was funny, <laughs> which is fine. Right. Which is fine. I don't, you don't have to think I'm funny. Uh, but it, right. but in context of that, I thought I realized, oh, it might have been a little bit of that, and that's as close as I've come being in Southern California. Yeah, Southern California. I, I think the most da- dangerous thing with this new redefining of of the scope of racism, um, 
Uh, what was I going to say? Um, I totally forgot. Redefining. I, I want... You're probably going back to the uh, the critical studies affair with Lindsay Bogosian and, and Pluckrose because we haven't really touched on that on what they what the work they did. Right. Yeah. So the work they did. So they they were able to basically expose these, um, you know, the, these these uh, areas of academia mm. um, where, you know, wherein I think they put it like culture has developed uh, where, you know, only certain conclusions are acceptable. Yep. And, 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 and chiefly that they, you know, put, uh, social grievances ahead of you know uh, objective truth yep um and the fact that they're able to get these articles that uh, these these academic level um you get these articles uh on the peer-reviewed journals writing in the vein of postmodernist jargon um you know was it was pretty pretty revealing yep and that's the Uh, those are the academic articles that the people throwing molotov cocktails in the police stations they point at that research they go you're the one ignoring the truth look at this research and that's those that's the research they're pointing at but what it what it smacks of for me is just again bad bad argumentation so it's like so so if, if you do like if, if you do like syllogistic, you know, uh, um, like a syllogistic setup where you have the premises and then you have the conclusion, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so you can really there, you can have a valid argument that is absolutely demonstrably ridiculous, right? Mm-hmm. Um. And that's what these are on steroids. These kind of articles, yep. these kind of peer-reviewed um, uh, pieces, are are just that. They are the um, uh, all frogs are are uh, uh, green. Uh, Aaron is green. Only only frogs are green. Therefore, Aaron is a frog. Mm-hmm. It's that kind of. You know what I mean? Uh huh. Oh, yeah. It's that kind of uh, unchecked premises um, that then are valid through their conclusion, but are if you examine the premises, they're absolutely ridiculous and misleading. And so that that is the the overarching problem with that they're pointing out. One of the my, one of the things that I don't like about it, um, so. Frederick Nietzsche told us all that everything we do ultimately is for power, um, and one and can be described as going after power. This is the this is the will to power, and I think that still rings true. Um, you can describe every goal as in in power terms, uh, but it's not always as as naked and as selfishly empowering as the current uh, critical race mobs. Uh, are doing to me that's what that's what i see and that's what's most scary is that they've created this 
this artifice that can't be torn down through evidence and through reason thinking because they have their own reasons and their own evidence and their own logic and you're locked out of it. And because they have this, they're stacking up and they're gaining power. And that's just what I see, right? I, I see them trying to ascend to power in the United States. And to be fair, they're doing it through mostly, most of the people are doing it through the, the legitimate means. That is to say, they're running for representative, they're running for mayor, they're trying to write legislation and get the laws passed. And as long as they're participating, participating in the democratic experiment in order to, to, to grow their power base, I'm all I'm all for that. I'm all for democratic participation. I disagree with your ideas <laughs> to their course, but if as long as right. you're participating civilly in the in the democracy that we've got going here, do it. Yeah. More power to you. I'm gonna try, I'm gonna argue against you. Um and what I disagree and I so that that's yeah, that's going on as well. And they're just that's what I see in the D'Angelo's and the Kindies, is that they just don't want to what do I see? I see them changing the definition of racism in order to grab. But they're also smart. right. Yeah. They're, but they're also they're 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 trying to set a uh, a precedent um, through a regulatory institutional means. Mm -hmm. So right. So there that yeah. that is where I mean. The, what is it? The center for I can't remember what um, uh, Ibram Kendi. Uh, the the the, the um, what is it called? It's something for the research for anti-racism or something, you know, um, or the research for an anti-racist America. I, I, I can't remember what it is. I don't know. But, there, but, but there's literally they're they're trying to to. It's not just a, a movement. They're trying to. It's they're working towards enacting it into legislation. That, yes, you know. Th that end is what is the most uh that's the biggest red flag for me yep you know um to try to get this that th this to try to get the idea that we need to be aware of our inherent racism yep organically is is different than you know taking it to state level to be um enforced yep um and so and and Ibram Kendi does a, a smooth move uh, in really reeling you in uh, in his book because he starts with the anecdote of his own racism, you know? So it really, um, I'm you feel taken. To know, in this anecdote where he offers evidence of his own racism, did he use evidence of racist thoughts or did he use evidence of racist action well the racist thoughts are are almost indistinguishable from action. entirely distinguishable maybe not entirely i haven't read his whole book so i don't know if he, there's caveats there See, um, i would have to read that because if he's but, making but, an but, argument for for racist thought as an example to me that's no example but if he's making if he acted racist in some way then yeah, okay, well, his then speech, I guess his speech is the the act that he points to. Speech is an act. He starts, yeah. So I, I guess he is talking about speech, but the criteria for what is racist in his speech is mm. probably what what would be you know most prone to to scrutiny here. Mm. Mm. But um, to be honest, though, I I don't I, I feel like I haven't done. 
I've been kind of frozen on this topic for, I, w- I was frozen for a long time. I've like finally thought out and I'm actually like getting into the, the woods with it. Um, but I just, I feel like I, I, I need more time to, like, I, I know what I, I, I believe mm. is right. Um, but as far as being able to identify each actor in these various gradations of the, of the, of, of the, um, anti-racist movement and, and, and like movements of the, the Black Lives Matter, um, sphere Hmm. um i I feel like i need more time i need more investigative time to really parse what their intentions are what they're going for i i think i like prima fascia have a pretty good sense of what they're doing and that's the thing like you you should be able if they're effective communicators you should be able to understand Hmm. where Hmm. what 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 they're about and where where they're taking it with within an article That's you know not it's an, I, I and in fact i'm like almost certain i'm not gonna finish reading uh how, how to be an anti-racist because mm-hmm. it's just uh, obvious uh in in it, what i guess the the ultimate um uh, thing is a, a way of so so when i watch a, a an interview with him and he espouses all the ideas that are in his book uh I should just trust that his book reflects the exact same thing. If it doesn't, there's a big problem with him as a communicator. Yeah, no, I don't you think know? I don't think he's you know, I don't think Ibram X. Kendi is disingenuous in that he uh believes what he says he believes. Uh I believe he really believes those things. Where where I exactly where I draw the difference. So that is to say about the interviews. If you watch the interviews, you're gonna get his argument, right? You can watch his That's why it's like reading the book is it like I mean, it's kind of unnecessary. It's not, it's not, it, it, that's not true of like for a lot of philosophy and, and, you know, uh, topics where there's a, a lot of nuance and different ways. It, that, that's not to say that I can't gain certain insights. No, and maybe that I am. I think the biggest, I think the biggest thing to land that I land on with, with Robin and Ibram is that definite, that shifting that definition of racism. Uh, and I actually had a conversation with my cousin where we said, okay, he said, he said that Derek Chauvin killing George Floyd was an act of racism. How could it not be? This is the question he asked me. And I said, I don't think that's an act of, of racism. And so what I said was, let's, let's give racism the same degree yeah. like murder, the, the where yeah. there's first degree murder, second degree murder, third degree murder. So let's have first degree racism, second degree racism, third degree racism. First degree racism is what you talked about with those guys that casually use slurs for other races and don't even think it's a big deal. That's first degree racism, right? So anybody walking around just throwing around racial slurs because what? They're inferior, right? That's racism. (laughs) That's the racism that the freedom fighters fought against, died for, uh, that we need to bring it into. Um, What Derek Chauvin did was not that. It was not that. Now, I do believe that Derek Chauvin committed murder. And I told my cousin, I said, I actually would have had I been on that juror panel and they said, can you be objective? I wouldn't have been able to be. I would have told him I cannot be objective in this case because I cannot help but draw a line between the open wound of chattel slavery and this murder in broad daylight. I can't help but do that. 
And so I'm not objective. I would have yeah. tried to get myself excused from the jury. Um, cause I wouldn't have been, I would have been trying to convict them of first degree if I could have figured out a way to do that. But, and to, I guess to put that on record, the way that it could have been first degree is I heard that Derek Chauvin actually got bounced from a club by, um, uh, by George Floyd. And George Floyd was a bouncer, a part-time bouncer, and that Derek Chauvin in his drunkenness actually got bounced and tossed by George Floyd at some point in the past. And so that Derek actually recognized George in the back seat and then pulled him out of the car and put his knee on his neck. In that case, it's first-degree murder. You recognized him, you saw him, and you were pissed, and you moved to kill him. Um, that's where my mind would have been. So I'm not an objective juror. Uh, but the point is... Well, I, 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 that... that um... But that piece of the the potential plot, I was completely. I don't. I'm of. not in court. That's just a rumor. That's where my mind is. You know, I'm three thousand miles away from where that, or maybe about a thousand miles away from that, where that actually happened. I don't know all that. I don't know if that was presented in court. I'm just telling you my mind state on it. Um, but I still don't believe that what Derek Chauvin did was racism in the degree of fire hosing water people in his, uh, you know, separate fountains and separate and separate buses i don't think it was in that spirit um now was it in this i do believe that black skin is unnecessarily feared just like i was afraid of that muslim guy when i you know you can argue right. well should i have been afraid that's i think that's what's going on with black skin in america still today a lot of people when they see a black guy they don't know is he going to be unreasonable is he going to be unruly? Is he going to be quick to violence? I don't know how, you know, they, they see a black guy and they see a wild card. They go, I don't know how he's going to act. Um, yeah. That's just the state of it. And so what you want to do is give the person a chance to act. Right? If a black guy walks in, give him a chance to be Obama. He might be Obama. Right. And if he's going to be crazy, he's going to be crazy. He's going to break the law. Then call the police and give him a chance to act. Don't call the don't call the police on him because he's drinking water. Uh, that's what they did at Starbucks, right? These two black guys go in, they get water, and they're waiting on a meeting, and then they just they didn't order coffee, so they called the police on them. Uh, don't do that. <laughs> well, yeah, that 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 is racism. Yeah, and that yeah. that uh, that to me, so the start that Starbucks case, that's second yeah. degree racism. That's not right. first degree racism because that woman, right. what she thought was, I can't tell if these guys are up to no good or not. That's what she was thinking. She wasn't thinking I hate black people. That's first degree racism. She was thinking, I just can't tell if these guys are up to no good or not. I think they're up were, to no were, good. Were they, was they, I can't remember if they were inciting any, you know, cause for concern. Oh my goodness. They, they ordered water because they were waiting on someone for a meeting and they didn't want to drink ahead of them. They were waiting on someone to join them so they could order coffee. Oh, it was just the fact that they didn't just, order. Just, just the fact that they didn't order coffee and they were sitting there and in the restaurant talking. And she couldn't. The, the, so the big factor for her, I believe, was that she couldn't tell if they were dressed like right. like civil people or gang members. She just couldn't tell. Right. And so right. that's the second degree racism that we're fighting today that I'm fighting along with D'Angelo and Kendi. Uh, we're on the right. same side when it comes to the unnecessary weaponization of brown skin. Uh, that's what's right. going on. That's not first degree racism uh, and some might say well how can you not call that first degree i choose not to because i want to draw a distinction between that and crosses on the lawn right i want to draw a distinction between i can't right. tell if this person is up to no good or not and their skin might have something to play yeah and that and putting swastikas down that, those are different things right and so i think the danger in in the the whole anti-racist movement is that it 
conflates it absolutely does. all three degrees yep. of, of racism as part of the as 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 kind of part and all part and parcel of the the greater problem of white supremacy you know and um and that's another definition has been stretched so the, yeah the old definition my understanding was white supremacy was akin to white separatism which is still going on today there are people that right. want to be they they would prefer a white ethno state they don't want the races to mix that right. that's white supremacy the the new definition and that, and that's one with scientific racism as well uh maybe i haven't heard that phrase but the other okay. version that they're trying to kick around today that i disagree with is that white supremacy is merely the fact that whites have superior outcomes when you measure it as a race in america right, that's right. that's what they want to refer to as white supremacy to me that's a twist on the phrase i i get how that makes sense if you want to talk about the if you want to talk about the um what who's the the jamaican supremacy of sprinting then yes that's jamaican supremacy but there you know yeah it's a bit of a twist there right yeah and and um what do you what, say? what's it gone what's it been for for you as a white person has has this do you get hit do you have you how does this been um have no, you thought about your been... whiteness <laughs> <laughs> i mean yeah that's the thing it's just like like i was telling you when i when there was the whole influx of essentially the the moral frenzy um in the wake of george floyd's murder um i i was i became more aware of it you know i was like how how have my actions i became more reflective of how have my actions been potentially racist that's so, uh, see, that's I, so terrible because I know you personally. Uh, I know that nothing you have done in your life. Um, I, I'm I'm confident that you've never done a single racist thing in my presence. We've spent many hours together uh, and I would defend you as a character witness in court. If anybody said, do you think he's ever done anything racist outside of your presence? I would say I'm almost certain not. Um, right. So, I, so this is the painful thing. For me to I remember that, that you went through that. This is the kind of thing that I became reflective of. I think this is the only thing, and it was <laughs> regarding talking to you. Every, mm. every once in a while, when I say, when, during our greetings or our goodbyes, I will refer to you as brother. And that was, that was the one thing I was like, is that racist? And so that is the slippery slope of like this over uh, self-censoring. Of like, is everything I'm doing? Did you ever refer to Casey as brother? I I refer to like most of my friends. Did you ever refer to to uh, Alex's brother? Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean. You know what I mean. So So I'm I'm giving that's that's all the evidence you need as the black guy that was referred to as brother by you. I it would be racist for me to censor myself from that. (laughs) I right? knew full. I when you when when you said brother to me, I knew it was in exact same spirit as brother with Casey and brother with Alex. We were a team. It wasn't even. It, a, it was brother. Not. How about this? It was brother 
in the familial sense of we aren't blood related, but I care for you like we were. That's how I take it. That's how I took it. Right. So that that's a great case in point of like, that is mm. a, a micro, that would be on the woke left. I hate that we I say the woke left, but it's just so available in my mind. But yeah. we know who we're talking about. I'm sad. I'm sad that woke got captured. I was, I like woke, but it got captured. So it did. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, will you just expound on the, the, the history of woke as you understand it? So woke, the first time I encountered woke was, let's say, let's say you go and you say, I'm going to recycle this spoon and because I'm doing my bit to help the environment. And then somebody can come along to you and say, China's putting 10 billion tons of carbon into the atmosphere every year. And then they would say, then they would say, it just meant no more than you think than you do now. That's what it meant originally. And I that's the part that I enjoyed. There's a song from Childish Gambino. I think it's Redbone, where in the chorus it says, stay woke, they be creeping. And that's the woke. For me, that's the pinnacle well, of the word woke. Um, right. It's, and there an, was a, it's an alert to just general. It's an alert to get and, smarter. Be smarter. Be better. Right. It's an alert to improve. Yeah. Uh, but now in our most current culture, uh, it has been captured to mean unreasonable leftist. So sad. Right. Maybe we'll just use unreasonable leftist then. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, so the, uh, to the unreasonable leftists, it would be uh, that would be considered a microaggression, you yeah. know. If not, uh, not so subtle. And may, maybe it would be even just like first degree racism at this point, you know. Yep. I don't. I don't want to, you know, mis mischaracterize uh, or straw man, but um, that's what it seems like. Yep. It's just, and it's way, and, and that, like, your actions are way, way more uh, unobvious. Uh, your racist actions are way, 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 way more subtle and unobvious than you can ever potentially detect. For some reason, <laughs> it came to my mind that the devil's greatest trick was convincing you that he's not there. That was one thing that I learned that they told to me in the church as a way of getting you to fear the presence of evil. They said the devil's greatest trick was convincing you that he's not there. And so then you, right. and in reaction to that, what you had to do was you had to look for evil everywhere because, everywhere. You, because you were on guard for being convinced that it wasn't it there. Might- and when you're and when you're a hammer, everything becomes a nail. Yeah. And so what these what these call I'll call them woke now. It's their term. What these woke leftists are doing is they're trying to put you on guard. They're trying to say the greatest the greatest racism is to be convinced that there's no racism. So you have to be on full guard for every right. race every bit of racism. That way you don't get tricked into thinking it's not around. Right. Um, yeah. That's what yeah. they want, and that's why it's a religious. That's why this is a religious uh, movement. They, they want it to be unfalsifiable. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it's, uh, it, it, it is what it is now. And, um, I, I genuinely want to live in a, I, I don't like the word colorblind because I, I think that it, it, it does obviate the part of, 
culture and our heritage that we want to embrace, you know, like there's parts of my, you know, white heritage that I want to embrace. Um, and there's parts of your black heritage that you probably want to embrace. Well, the part, the part that you want to separate, and this is, this isn't being done effectively in any media, really, you can actually separate skin color and culture. Those are two separate things. You mean phenotypically? I mean, conceptually. A person can be a part of a culture and not, and be of any color skin. Right, right, of course, of course. And so racism has to do explicitly with skin color. If if somebody came, if somebody came up to me and they were, creeping with a with a bag of money with a money over with a bag over their shoulder with a big money symbol on it and they had on black bandana and they were tiptoeing across the thing i'd go you know i'm not gonna assume he's a burglar that's a cultural thing right that's culture when you're talking about the way someone dresses the way they wear their hair the way all these uh accessories that a person puts around their body that's culture skin color doesn't have to be a part of that, right? You can imagine a black guy with dreads in a suit. You can imagine a white guy with dreads in a suit. Um, and if they both smell like weed, they're probably smoking weed. Uh, you know, skin color aside. And this is this is Sam's this is Sam's argument, right? Sam's argument is that we can talk about culture without assuming that because I have a certain skin color that I'm part of a certain culture. They're independent fact. They're independent variables. Right. Yeah. Totally. Totally, man. Um, I I really have to go to the the bathroom. So um, I don't know if we're at that time or if you want to go on a little longer. Um, You just want to pee and come back and touch on something? I mean, we're at 242. Yeah, let's just wrap it up because I'm going to have to eat lunch and work. And um, I... uh, yeah, I mean, I, I I really appreciate you, um, you know, giving me a chance to have have the, the long form with you. And well, let me ask before I let you go, what yeah would you want to put in the to the public space that you haven't had a chance to already? If there's anything, oh man, um, the time capsule of a podcast. Hmm. Or we can I do guess it next just, time. I, I, no, I know. I, I, I'm just thinking. I'm just trying to not just blurt something out. Um, but just that um, that people give one another the benefit of the doubt, hmm. and and that you take the time to understand where somebody's coming from, um, and in the in the in the least likely of venues. You know, like surprise people. Um, like I, you know, I, I part of my job. I, I have to interact with people on these message boards on, uh, you know, stock market message boards. People can just be so, and it makes sense because you're dealing with money mm-hmm. that they're they're the, the worst demon comes out. Um, but and and I feel myself being feeling antagonized at certain turns and to return to, to first of all, understand that the person who is antagonizing or being um, kind of just generally unconsciously 
uh, hostile towards you and uh, is um, it, that that they are doing so just as that they're they're being uh, they're oriented in their life circumstances mm. in a way that you can't really totally fathom mm. but you got but i i want to be somebody who gives them the benefit of the doubt and return their hostility with a not a you know a um like i try to avoid being condescending mm. um in any way or, or i avoid sounding condescending potentially in any way but to like really show them that there's like a little bit of humanity left you know um i just like hope people do that more in in the least likely of scenarios well you're um, uh you're a walking waking example of a good human uh, and i will always hold you up as that and i admire you my friend yeah thanks man i mean that's pretty uh there's a pretty reciprocal uh, notion about you so i i really appreciate our friendship and uh, that we get to have these, uh, I mean, we, we have these long form conversations anyway. So I'm yeah. glad that we got to, <laughs> we got to capture it. Um, that's right. And then um, one time, one time soon coming up within the next 90 days, we'll do it in person. Awesome. I can't wait. I really can't wait. Yep. All right, man. Well, you enjoy the weekend and, um, thanks for having me. You do the same. I'll talk to you later. All right. All right. See you. Bye.